0: When I was 14, uh, the Czech uh, Czech nationals was uh, for the junior teams was playing in my hometown, and uh, one of the coaches uh, from uh, a team from Kladno were watching our practice, and you know he just approaches our parents if uh, if I would be interested, to try it out for our academy, uh, you know the following year. Uh, so talking about uh, being in the right place, right time, just. Uh, buy an auction and I uh, get invited somewhere where uh, I would probably <laughs> never be uh, invited before if, if they were not playing there and then they didn't see our practice and uh, right. you know they always say it, you, just, uh, you never know who's watching right so it's one of those times that uh, it was just a meaningful practice uh, you know in my uh, little small town and uh, end up uh, being somewhere something that uh, much changed my life.
1: That was Ladislav Cohn, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padolin. Ooh, just watch me now. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason podolan where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason podolan a 31st overall draft pick. Who played 41 nhl games but thought he was destined for a thousand learn from my story and those of my guests this is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential hello there welcome back or welcome to the up my hockey podcast with jason Podolan i am your host jason Podolan and today this is i believe the second episode of 2023 and you're going to be listening to a conversation i had with ladislav Cohn. ladislav kohn uh, is a former teammate of mine. We played together in St. John's uh, for the Maple Leafs. And Saint, uh, Laddie, as as I called him, or as his nickname, or Coner, but usually Laddie, uh, he got traded for David Cooper, who was also a teammate of mine with, with Toronto. So he was with the Calgary Flames organization, uh, Laddie was, and, and uh, he was a seventh-round pick uh, to them. And he came over in a trade with David Cooper, so we played together for I think an entire season, maybe a little bit more. So got to know Laddie quite well. Uh, heck of a winger, uh, good, solid, chippy player uh, with with good skill. Could score a goals, saw the ice real well, and um, and yeah, and he he was a good teammate. He he was a bit of a quiet guy. He he at the time didn't really trust his English a whole lot. And and so didn't, didn't talk a whole lot. And that was actually one of his worries of coming on the podcast is, you know, 20 years later with uh, English being his second language still, you know, he wasn't super confident with his, with his English, but my goodness, I mean, Laddie did fantastic on this interview and, and, uh, and his English is, is great. And I have mad respect for anyone who can speak more than one language as I can barely, as I can barely get around with one, but, um, so yeah, we, that's where we met and, and, and really at the time, and I've covered this before a little bit on the podcast is like, we never talked or we never knew the history of guys back in the nineties because the internet didn't exist the way it does now with HockeyDB and the elite prospects. And you can just be one click away from a guy's uh, resume essentially. And, and when guys came over, you, you didn't really talk a lot of hockey, to be honest, it was just, you know, Guys being guys and getting to know each other, and oftentimes you talk about anything other than hockey, and so we uh, we didn't get into any war stories or glory days stuff. So I didn't know Laddie's story at all until this conversation. You know, until we dug in to where he came from, and 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 where he came from was the Czech Republic, and and not only Czech Republic, but I guess Czechoslovakia uh, pre '90s uh, Czechoslovakia, which was communist Czechoslovakia. And, and so we talk about him growing up in a small town, his introduction to hockey, uh, what life was like there at that time and his exposure to the NHL and who his idols were and all that stuff, which I just found completely fascinating. And uh, the big piece that I didn't know was him coming over to Canada as a 17-year-old, as an 18-year-old actually, uh, without knowing a word of English, without knowing what the WHL was, just knew that the Brandon Wheat Kings had drafted him in the European draft and that his advisor thought it was a good idea for him to go if he wanted to get drafted and play in the NHL. So it was his first plane ride ever at 18 to come to Canada, to go to Brandon, a town he never knew, uh, to play in a league he didn't understand with a language that he couldn't speak. Uh, Talk about talk about courage, right? Like talk about passion and want. And, um, and one of the things that he doesn't talk about in this, on the episode that you're going to hear, but he told me after we, we completed the episode, um, was what he did once he got over to Canada. And that was that he left, he left this academy system in, in Czech Republic, which he talks about or in Czechoslovakia. And, and the teachers there, um, were very unhappy with him choosing to go to uh, to Canada uh, to to pursue this hockey career and this hockey dream and the, and they told him that uh, you know if he did leave I guess this one in particular teacher said that I mean, if you leave you are going to come back here and you will have to work in the steel mill uh, I guess there's a steel local steel mill there in town and and was kind of you know threatening him to go and and anyways what what Ladislav did was he did go to Canada and he did get drafted by the Calgary Flames and he did sign a pro contract and when he got that first pro check he took a picture of that check and he sent it back to Czechoslovakia to his teacher uh, to just show her that he was not coming back and that he did make it happen and he was able to pursue his dream. So I think that was a really cool snapshot of, of uh, and I want to tell that story here now in the intro because that kind of encapsulates what Laddie is, is and what he's all about. He, he he played the game with an edge. Uh, he, he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He was always trying to prove somebody wrong or, or, uh, you know or prove himself right and, and it did him, it did him great. He played a long time he played he played in the NHL for almost three solid seasons he had a hundred and over 180 games played and um, and yeah his story is, is, is quite remarkable and, and it also is cool because it comes on the heels of the World Junior Championships where uh, you know Czech Czech Republic and Slovakia had such great showings here in, in the uh, 2023 uh, tournament uh, with uh, the Czech Republic actually winning winning with the silver medal. And being the only team to beat Canada. And then we're talking this from a, from a country that has like 12,500 people playing hockey. Calgary, Calgary, the city of Calgary has like 14,000 registered hockey players. So for uh, for Czech Republic to compete on a world stage is quite remarkable. We talk about the development aspect in, in Czechoslovakia. We also talk about his time with the Red Wings. Uh, he was able to be part of that, uh, that historic group of Red Wings with like eight NHLers in one locker room. He was there. We talk about Hasek. And his insanity uh, at practice, and his approach to the game. We talk about Iserman and his leadership skills, and we talk about Brett Hall and what he was all about. And um, yeah, we we just we just talk hockey. We 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 talk hockey for almost two hours. Uh, for me, it was awesome just to hear. Uh, what it was, what life was like, even like the political landscape. We cover a little bit about how they separated and why, and and what the hockey was like there, and and who his idols were or weren't, and what his exposure was to the, the NHL and, and and his own uh, and his own and his own journey. And I wish we did a better job of covering his journey because we barely even tapped into uh, to his pro his pro career and, and where he went and what he was able to do but uh, I believe you're going to love this episode I know I sure did I left with a smile on my face uh, it's it's quite remarkable what what passion and, and a and a and a big heart uh can do for a player and the things that that Ladislav was able to do by coming over to a new continent to uh to pursue his dreams was was pretty fantastic and inspiring so without further ado I bring you my conversation with Ladislav Cohn. Laddie thanks for joining us today on the program
0: thanks for having me Jason uh happy to be here you know it's uh it's raining weather in California so a perfect time to uh, uh stay home and be... <laughs> and stay
1: safe stay yeah safe. L- Ladislav was just telling me about uh I'm not a news guy so anyone knows me knows that uh, the news channel is not on very often um, that is on purpose usually it's I find it depressing so we don't usually have it on very often a little bit of uh Put, put my head in the sand, kind of guy when it comes to that. But I guess, yeah, there's massive rainfalls and, uh, and flooding in Southern California and a lot of bad stuff happening there. So sorry for anyone down there dealing with that stuff. And Laddie chose to uh, come inside and, and have a podcast today instead. So I like your choice there, Laddie.
0: Got to fill my time. So, you know, <laughs> better than uh, be driving outside and uh, doing, uh, doing other things. But, you uh, know, this is a uh, good way to uh, fill my time.
1: Awesome. Uh, yeah, Laddie and I just reconnected. Uh, actually he reached out. He has a, he has a, his son is, is playing hockey over in a prep school there. And we were having some chats about, uh, about Jacob and, and we're able to reconnect, um, about, about our history. And anyways, I was like, geez, Laddie, you'd be a great guest to have on if you want to come on. And, uh, Laddie always jokes about his, his poor English, but I think his English is quite, quite strong. So, uh, I guess you guys can be the judge of, uh, of Laddie's, uh, English here, but I think he does just fine. Um, Laddie, so Laddie and I cross paths, and I—I I mean, I mentioned that in the in, intro. In the, in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, uh, we also were able to play against each other a little bit in the AHL, and actually, we did play against each other in the WHL, but we were in different divisions at the time, so uh, probably don't remember each other too well f- from that time. We only uh, we only went out east once a year, but um, I want to start there. Well. Maybe we won't start there. maybe we should go back just a little bit farther because I want to know how a young Ladislav Cohen from the Czech Republic ends up in the Western Hockey League and, and all the craziness and the decisions that must have ha- had to happen for you to do that at such a young age. but let's just take back to Czech Republic and even growing up there and, and wanting to play hockey how did how did hockey cross your path and and why did you uh, why did you choose a sport
0: I mean uh, not just for me but uh, probably for anybody you know things just uh, don't happen right away there's so many ups and downs and then twists and turns uh anybody uh, you, you talk to the the road's always never a straight path right so it's sometimes you get to find your ways but uh very i guess uh, short version would be uh, you know some some of the things that just happened just by accident or or, or cause uh, out, of, out of forces that were involved you know for for me to started getting into hockey it was uh just uh, one of my one of my friends that was uh Living in my apartment building, just one day showed up at my door and I was, I was like, "Hey, uh, I'm going to this tryout. Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to go by myself. I do want to come with me, and I was like oh, where, where are you going?'" He was like, "Well, I'm going hockey. And I was like, I never really skated. I, I, you know, I didn't never really play it. I don't have any gear. Like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You know, everything we're gonna get everything, all the gear, everything. Uh, it's gonna be all set up there. Just come out." And I was like, "Ah, oh, sure, why not?" So. That's basically how uh, I started hockey and, you know, growing up in uh, in communist country. I guess uh, you can say it back then, um, you know, getting involved in anything. Everything was provided for you. You didn't have to uh, uh, pay anything or spend any money. So for, for parents to uh, send their kids to do any type of sport or, or any type of activity, everything was, it was all set up just as long as you want to put the time in and show up and, and go play. So. That's how old would you been in there, laddie? How old? How old
1: would you have been when that was happening?
0: What's that? How old would you have been when that was happening when that guy came to your door? Well, I was uh, I was six years old. Um, I think first time I, I skated uh, actually, you know, back then, then the, when all the ponds and and lakes still would uh, freeze and we still get the snowfall. Uh, I think first time when when we uh, got out there uh, try ice skate was uh, maybe I was. Four or five years old and my dad just uh, took me out and uh, but it was nothing that <laughs> we were just fooling around I could probably uh, uh, barely stand up and uh, and I'm just uh, walking around on a frozen lake so that was my probably first introduction but uh, yeah when when I was six that's uh, when I really uh, got into organized hockey and uh, that's basically how, how I started.
1: So with was your dad a hockey player at all? Was he exposed to the
0: sport? No, none of my families were uh, involved in uh, any sports. You know, my mom was a she was an educator. Uh, she was a teacher. Um, my dad was uh, was a construction or uh, working in the construction industry. So, uh, you know, that we never really have any uh, anybody I could uh, follow in their in their footsteps. And uh, and then uh, my brother was always at school as well. Right. So, uh, you know, you know, sports were. Uh, uh, i guess uh part of everybody's family but uh you know to kind of uh follow somebody in their footsteps or or do something that my parents were doing you know was uh nothing like
1: that right right so i mean young kid growing up you know i mean me contrasting that to you know life in in canada and you know i remember being when i fell in love with hockey was like legitimately fell in love with the sport and sitting in front of the tv uh, was 1981 when the Canucks went to the Stanley Cup finals, right? So I'm from Vernon, British Columbia, Vancouver's the closest NHL team. It was on CBC and we'd follow the Stanley Cup playoffs and Richard Berder was in net, and Thomas Gardine, and he, I might remember most of the players and I, I at five years old would, would sit in front of that TV and, you know, watch se- essentially every second of, of the games and, uh, and that was when I knew that I liked hockey and I wanted to play it and everything else. Right. And, and then, so that exposure to the NHL is really what brought me into it as a fan. And then obviously as a player. So for you, like growing up in, in, uh, in Czechoslovakia, communist Czechoslovakia, uh, was there pro hockey then? Was there exposure to the NHL? Was there any big names that, that you knew about growing up that you maybe wanted to be like, or could, uh, emulate?
0: Yeah. I mean, this, some of that came way, way later when, uh, when I was, uh, you know, still playing, uh... As you probably know, uh, uh, spending some time in Europe, uh, the, the number one sport in Europe is soccer. So, I think uh, if we if there was any sport that anybody would follow, or, or, or we would have some idols. Uh, all my idols, uh, you know, early on, where everybody was just soccer players. <laughs> that's what was on TV. That's uh, that's what uh, Czechoslovakia back then was uh, was really good at, and uh, we we had some uh, really strong teams, and we had a lot of success. So. Uh, if we were watching something then, uh, it would be probably uh, probably soccer uh, I think that the first time I really uh, took any uh, kind of interest uh, when I was uh, 10 years old I uh, obviously I always continue playing playing on a team and and still to these days you know when, once you get on a team you usually uh, with the team you um, know tell you 16 17 18 years old so there's not that much uh, turnover and then they usually just one team in the city so once you get on and uh, if you're good enough you know usually stay there uh the whole time uh, until you, you get better or you're playing in a small town which was kind of my uh my case eventually but uh you know you you stay where you are pretty much uh, uh it could be for your whole career pretty much but uh like i was saying you know when i was 10 years old we uh, we had a, a sports academy or sports schools back then, which uh, was getting a little more popular. But uh, uh, initially, I think it was started for all, all the soccer kids that were playing. And then, uh, you know, kind of they expanded to it. They, they added athletics. And, and then, uh, you know, part of my sports school was, uh, was hockey. So uh, the whole entire team, uh, we had, well, everybody had to switch schools. And we ended up uh, going to the sports school, which was uh, located... Uh, right next to the hockey rink. So, uh, you know, since I was uh, 10 years old, till, till I left my, my hometown, <clears throat> you know, I was, uh, I was uh, going, uh, going through sports school and, uh, and then practices with, that was very convenient. It was kind of the, the new modern, uh, kind of like what the prep school is all about where uh, you just have everything on, that, on a campus. And uh, we, we had the same thing, you know, we, uh, the, the soccer stadium or, or the indoor stadium, uh, everything was uh, right there, athletic uh, facility. So we did, uh, you know, not, not just hockey, but we uh, we grew up doing uh, all the sports uh, that you can uh, pretty much uh, imagine that uh, from track and field to, uh, to, you know, regularly playing soccer uh, and then just going to hockey practices on top of that.
1: Right. Fantastic. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome environment to grow up in. Uh, with regards to... Like when did the NHL? So was the NHL on your radar? And I don't even mean at ten years old as as a player, like that you wanted to be an NHL or you knew the league existed. But like, was there any knowledge of of that pro league or Was was the hockey playing happening in Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia more focused on the uh, the national pro pro league there?
0: So so you gotta you gotta kind of you know it's kind of funny when when I hear uh, people talking about. Uh, uh, communists and they think they know what it's like, but uh, unless you live it and you actually uh, experience it, I, I think it's really uh, hard for people to really understand uh, what what that looks like and uh, what people have to go through. Uh, you know, we we had two uh, TV stations. Uh, there was no really any outside media that uh, you could you could follow. Uh, very limited the uh, news uh, in the newspapers. Mm. Anybody that uh, you know were the pioneers that, that left Czech- Czechoslovakia back then to, to play uh, in the national hockey league, <laughs> there was there was no way they're gonna even, it, especially if they they would have any type of success, they would put something like that in the newspapers to kind of uh, expose people that there's a there's an outside world and uh, and the people can succeed and do other things and play in another league. league. Uh, so the the propaganda machine was. Uh, was very very strong, and uh, I think anything that was that was promoted was uh, you know geared to uh, if anything just just the national team and and probably the Eastern Euro- European block uh, countries that that was heavily promoted, and that was probably uh, the only exposure that you, that you can get. There was uh, there was news here and there, but it was like a little small droplet. So I, I think uh, you know me as a young boy from from tiny. Tiny little town that uh, it would uh, unless I would really seek for it or or yeah. uh, outside kind of help to guide me uh, where to look uh, I wouldn't even know it.
1: So the national team then was like the the compass, right? Like that's where if, if you were a good hockey player under under communist rule there in the Czech uh, in Czechoslovakia, like that would be that be the holy grail, right? If you could play for the national team and and compete internationally potentially one day. Yeah,
0: absolutely, like for for anybody that. You know, we're we're looking to uh uh to be somewhere out uh, have their uh have their goal national team. That was uh, that was like you were saying, uh, the holy grail But you know, when I was 10, ten years old there was uh, the world championships uh, in Prague and uh, somehow my uh, my grandpa uh got a couple tickets and we actually went to see a see a game Canada playing against Czechs and and you know, fantasy uh Czech Republic beat, beat Canada. Uh, in the finals of winning the world championships at home so that was uh, that was probably uh, you know the, my first exposure that oh man there's some really really good players you know they' they're players outside you know Russia Germany or, uh, or, or uh, uh, you know other countries that, that we would always uh, only had an opportunity to watch like Sweden or Finland right? So uh, watching Canadian uh, Canadian players uh you know I <laughs> I remember just watching the game I, I don't even know if I, I follow the, the check guys because uh, you, you know I, I knew all those guys from from TV or watching the matches but uh you know watching uh, players like Steve eiserman uh, who who was a, a, a young a young stud back then and he, he was an amazing and so I was uh I was immediately drawn to <laughs> something I' never seen before and and even the Canadian jerseys, I think they're still to this day is probably uh, one of the nicest jerseys that they are. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, having an opportunity to uh, to watch that game, uh, watch those players, um, and then, you know, hockey being Canadian sport, to uh, to watch probably uh, some of the best players be on the ice at the same time, it was uh, pretty amazing. And like I said, I was 10 years old, so I think that, that was the first time I kind of, took interest in, uh, in, in hockey. And I was pretty amazed and, uh, kind of, you know, what, what drew me to it was, uh, you know, watching Steve Eisman And, and uh, uh, when I found out that there was going to be a poster in, in one of our sports magazine, I, I think I stood in the line to make sure I, <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing, but, uh, you know, even to get a sports magazine, to the, you know, at the, news, the newspaper stand, uh, it was just not automatic all the time. Uh, sometimes you have to, uh, you know, really really know somebody to uh, to make sure you, you got there on time, or uh, save save you a uh, save you an, an issue to uh, to really get that uh, got that magazine. So uh, I got it, and and uh, I remember I had it uh, above above my bed for a long long time. Uh, Probably my parents didn't take it down until years later after I moved out. But uh, it was there for, for a very long time. And, you know, eventually, fast forward, uh, I end up in Detroit. And and somehow I <laughs> end up sitting next to Stevie by stall. Oh, man. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, was, I just couldn't believe it that uh, something like that, that, you know, translated for me being... Uh, being at that game at 10 years old, uh, seeing somebody for the first time and, and be so drawn to him, uh, eventually end up sitting next to him in the, in the locker room. So that, that was, kind of com- it, it was kind of a circle being completed. It was kind of surreal moment, and uh, it was very exciting, yeah.
1: Oh, my God. That's mind-blowing. That's super cool. It kind of makes the, the hair in the back of my neck stand up. The um, did you? Andy, I bet you never told him that story either,
0: did you? Or did you? Well, eventually I did. I mean, I I was uh, talking about being starstruck, right? He, he's sitting uh, sitting next to uh, one of the best captains at all times, you know, Hall of Famer, all, all the accolades that you can think of. Uh, what he done <laughs> uh, as a player, as, as a person, now of uh, what he's doing as a manager for. So I think I think I sat next to him for um, maybe three three months. Uh, and i think honestly the first month i don't i don't think i said anything i just uh i just didn't want to bother him cuz it was uh, getting close to the playoffs uh you know the, everybody was getting ready um i didn't really know what you know what, what to even ask him even though i had a million questions which uh probably some <clears throat> talking about downfalls you know I, I was always not sure you know what if if i'm a, Allowed to ask some of these guys to any questions, you know. So I was, all, I was sitting there for, for about a month, and after a month, uh, Steve was, uh, uh, you know, just sitting there, just just relaxing, and he was, he was wondering if I even spoke English. So he, you know, he, he just turned to his young buddy and, the like,
1: guy,
0: you know, do you, do you speak English? And then, and then we started talking, and it's like you've been sitting here for a month, you know, he hasn't said a word. I thought he, you don't speak English at all. And, I'm not sure how, my, how good of my English was back then, but, uh, you know, he, he could not be more nicer. And I, I I think I mentioned a story to him, and I, maybe I uh, probably apologize why I didn't say anything, but, uh, you know, he's he's such a nice, uh, amazing guy, but uh, you know, I wish I would uh, kind of bother him every day, uh, you know, asking questions and what could I done, and how can I get better, and, you know, all, all questions that anybody would have but uh you know uh, being so close to the playoffs and and i don't know how much how much you know the team and winning and him being a captain uh, you know meant to him so i i didn't want to bother him too much so I'd, i left him alone but uh yeah he, he could not be uh, more of a nicer guy than, than he is that's
1: super fantastic holy smokes um yeah I mean, that's I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast before. Like I remember my first year in the NHL and i've 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 told the story on here before, but it was right before I got traded to to Toronto at the trade deadline. Like I didn't even know there was a trade deadline. Like you talk about being green and naive, right? Like in the NHL and like didn't really understand the gravity of what that day was or that maybe I was even able to get traded. But it was like a week and a half earlier, and I was up in the NHL with the Panthers and we cruised into Pittsburgh. And played against Mario Lemieux, who was my Steve Eiserman for you, right? Like that was my guy. Posters everywhere, Penguins emblem painted on my bedroom wall, right? Like I absolutely worshipped Mario growing up as a as a young hockey player and as a teenager. And then on my birthday of all days, um, I'm in Pittsburgh playing against Mario, like on the same ice, right? Like, and there you are sitting in in uh, in Izzy's uh, next to Izzy's stall, and it's like there was a there was a surrealness about it for sure and uh and i've mentioned it before like i was in the moment and like i was definitely like soaking it up but i i regret not ever feeling like i was like i was grateful to be there but i didn't almost feel like i was supposed to be if that makes any sense right like no no totally Yeah, Yeah. like this is the guy, like this is the god. This is, this is like, oh my gosh. And now here I'm playing against him. It almost didn't seem right. And, and ironically, you know, now I'm now I'm talking about mindset with with players and and working with teams on it and stuff. And that's kind of that a little bit of a limiting belief there, right? Even though I knew he was a good player, like I just I'd never got to the point mentally that I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like this, you know, it was just a way different feeling. And I'm sure that first month you're sitting beside Stevie, that's probably
0: exactly what you were running through your head too. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> totally. If, some of the moments are <clears throat> surreal. Like if, even at, uh, I was in the league for uh, for a few years by then. <clears throat> you know, I, running through players, they were amazing players themselves and Hall of Famers but uh being sitting next to somebody that you you idolize since you were 10 years old I think that that put it into another level of uh respect you know and more than anything I just uh, I, I just watch what he did as a captain you know how and then listen <laughs> right I, I felt like there was a, a <clears throat> you know not my place to uh to even say anything uh, just just to kind of soak in, uh, You know, you're sitting in a locker room, not just Stevie, but you sit sitting in a locker room with uh, 14, 15 Hall of Famers. You know, that's, uh, I feel like for anybody, that's that's kind of overwhelming. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of teams have, you know, one, two, three, uh, um, maybe just one, but, you know, you end up in a locker room where it was pretty much the, or half of the team. Hall of Famers, or you know, back then future Hall of Famers. It's it's definitely overwhelming, at least for me. Uh, right. You know, I I was there with Sean Avery, so I the, that's the only guy who uh, who didn't get timid by it. Uh, it was definitely not overwhelming for him. I can uh, <laughs> who's that? I can tell you that he uh, he was uh, he had a ton of confidence and you know self believe himself. And,
1: who was the name you said though? I missed the name.
0: Ah, uh, Sean Avery.
1: Oh, Sean Avery. <laughs> Yeah, that seems about right. I guess. Yeah, he was. uh, He was a mouthpiece. That guy. It's funny. I've told a story about him too because I played against him. I think it was in the minors, and yeah, it was in the minors. And he was with Detroit in the minors at that time. And um, I might have gotten that wrong. Definitely played against him. It was Detroit. Whether I was up or not, I think he was down. But he was like, he took he took trash talk to like a whole new level. Like you know, he did research. You know, like he knew stuff that I didn't think anyone was supposed to know. And for whatever reason, I was his. I was his guy that day, and he was just all over me that entire game. It was hilarious. Um, I mean, he was he was like that twenty
0: four seven. you know, we uh, were we're out there in, the, in, the, in Detroit for, for the playoffs and or before the playoffs. Um, it was just uh, I don't know if it was self confident or that was just his his personality. Um, you know, I, I think there was a few times you uh, the guys had to tell him, you know. You gotta tone it down a little bit, you know. Just uh, know your place a little bit. But uh, you know, for him, that that was Sean, right? And you know, eventually, uh, I, I feel like he had a really, really successful career. And you know, he he made a trade for himself. You uh, that was that was his game. That was his personality. And you know, I don't know how many games he ended up playing in NHL, but uh, I, I feel like he had a very successful ser- uh, career at the end. Sure he
1: did. Yeah, I mean, especially and and I don't have a, in front of me right now either. How many games he played, but for the amount of games he did play, um, he's definitely like a household name, really, right? Like everyone knows Sean Avery or a Sean Avery story or has some some opinion about him. So he was definitely a polarizing guy. But um, what, what what was getting back to Iserman and because I I went to camp actually, laddie, and you probably don't even know that, but that was uh, I went to Europe, went to Japan. Thought my was like I actually retired, went to Japan and played, and then I kind of like, well, you know what? I think I can still play, and I think I can still play in the NHL, and I wanted to give another chance, and I got a, I got a tryout with Ken Holland and, and Mike Babcock with the Wings. So I was like the last kind of professional thing that I did was went to training camp, went to Traverse City, uh, played an exhibition game in, in, in Minnesota, and anyways, I hurt myself, and that was the end of it. But that experience, like that, whatever I was there, like the month I was there or whatever with the Red Wings. Um, and it was roughly around. I was 30, so it would have been around 96, 95, 96. Uh, was incredible as far as from a culture standpoint, and how the guys treated each other, and how they treated me, and like what the whole atmosphere was like there. Uh, so you were a part of that whole engine, um, you know, and sitting beside the you know the 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 uh, the, the centerpiece of that engine, and Steve Eiserman. What what was what, what was that room like? And what was the, you mentioned leader, uh, like the leadership skills of Iserman? Like, what, how did he lead? And, and what did you think that dressing
0: room was like? Well, th- I think overall, the, the self believed in every player. It, it was uh, not a level I, that i never seen. Um, you know, the, the confidence within the room that everybody, knew when if they do their job they're going to win every game that was uh that was kind of a feeling that you know that they, they believe that the guy next to them that they're going to do their job that they're going to do their part um you know they, they had so many different different leaders um you know every night <clears throat> could have been somebody different that you know, lead the way, uh, you know. Uh, Stevie, obviously, uh, as, a, as a centerpiece, as, as a captain, as the a, a biggest leader, um, you know, didn't really have to speak all the time. Um, you know, when he did, uh, <laughs> everybody's ears perked up. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody uh, to pay attention. But uh, there was uh, just so many other leaders as, as well that uh, you know were more walk- uh, vocal, uh, you know, on a regular basis or or when whenever uh, it' it's been needed uh, you know just just that amount of leadership and self-belief uh, it was just uh, not a level that uh, I, I never seen it anywhere else. So was
1: Steve more of a lead by example type of leader then more so than an oral guy, a vocal guy?
0: No. you know he he did both you know the, the leadership on the ice that was that was every day you know you talking about every day or uh, he, he, his preparation and, and leadership but practice, day in, day out, it was just uh, 100%
1: every day. Uh, can you give us an example of that? Because that's one thing that I talk with players about, right? Like what that looks like. You know, what does leadership look like? Because it's one thing to say it, but like when you can sit there in that locker room and you watch what he does to prepare, or you watch what he does on the ice, or what he does after practice, or what he does for games, like it looks different, right? Than other people. And, and what what were some of those things that you could look to to say this is this was different about him
0: you know, a lot a lot of leaders would probably have uh, a lot of similarities right they they were really focused um, you know when it was time to get on the ice, you know they, they were ready to go they, there was no there was no lot of distraction they, they were probably able to uh, tune out all the noise uh, They were always ready to uh, to perform at their best. And you know, also the sort of preparation that were leading up to a, a practice or a game. Uh, I'm sure they, they had a, a certain routine that you know it, it's been really successful for them. And and um, you know that's where they could the consistency they were they were going to do it every day no matter what. So the the preparation and, and their routine uh, probably never changed. Uh, during a practice, I don't think I. Not just Stevie, but some of the guys. I, I don't think I ever seen them to uh, just just take it a, uh, a practice. Uh, you know, if it was as a pass or you know, just stopping in front of the net uh, after every shot. Just just uh, the level of uh, of of consistency that they were doing every little thing right all the time. I was uh, that's something I that was just. You know, amazing because so, sometimes, you know, like for a player, might well, like me, you know, would take take a shot and you know, do a big drive by and get back in the line, you know, didn't stop at the front end net. But you know, looking at him, you know, he's maybe like 37 years old, and he was doing it all the time, doesn't miss a pass, always stops at the front, just the little things. So that it was just non stop, you know, you could if you could just uh follow that, do that on. Uh, every day you would be so much better as a player <laughs> I love that yeah I mean
1: that attention to detail right like we we are our habits I mean whether it's uh, from a personal standpoint right like from a personal human uh, get through your day standpoint or from a hockey player standpoint you you become what you do all the time like that's what you do and so if you if you can commit to developing those good habits and be consistent with them like, and make them automatic, right? Like God, like that—you don't have to think about them. I'm sure, like, me mean, at 37 years old or whatever, like Steve Eisman didn't have to think about stopping in front of the net because he's been doing it for 17 years, right? And that's just something that he at, had to do. Um, so that's super cool that you recognize that. And I want to—I want to lay. Oh, you know, I should tell you the Steve Eisman story first. So I went to the All Star game, I think, at 12 or 13. Um, my dad took me there, and my dad was like, my dad was like hilarious hockey dad, like like never played the game himself but like a little bit of a maverick outside of the box thinker like you know you name it like he would just find a way to get something done and he decided that he was going to make press passes for himself right like so like and this is like the old printer you know like that had like the holes in the paper on the outside you know and like with no digital programs or whatever and like somehow like he expanded the font and put press on this thing and he he, he glued it to a lanyard. So he had this thing around his neck and he had this old camera that he thought looked professional. And anyway, so we go down there after the uh, NHL all-star game and uh, anyways, damn straight. He gets us in like as part of the press group, right. That he's a press guy. And so I come in with him. And so I'm like, just like this, right. Like eyes huge as saucers and you name it. Like, you know, everyone was there. And I think it was the 86 all-star game actually in, uh, in Calgary. I think Barrasso was there. He won the, I think he was like a, a rookie at the time. Izzy was there. Mario was there. But anyways, long story short, uh, I get Steve Eiserman's stick. And uh, and 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 the guru that I am, I decided I was gonna use it in Pee-Wee. So I actually used Steve Eiserman's stick, his, his Louisville TPS in a Pee-Wee game. Almost broke it. Now I'm smart enough. I didn't I didn't retape it though, I didn't do anything stupid as that. I left Stevie's tape on there, his knob, everything. And uh, anyways, I got a couple tucks with it, but it's on my kid's room now down in his bedroom with all the other sticks that I have. But, so I actually used uh, Iserman's stick, but that's my Izzy story for you. But um, I want to read this, this for, for those at home. So this team that, uh, that Ladislav was a part of, and he talked about the Hall of Famers, and I just opened up Hockey DB. We got Brennan Shanahan, Sergei Fedorov, Brett Hall, Nick Lidstrom, Luke Robotai, Steve Eiserman, Igor Larionov, Chris Chelios, Pavel Datsyuk, Dominic Hassock. That's bonkers, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, every name, you know, you, you <laughs> <laughs> it could be anybody's, you know, grown up an idol, right? It, yeah, it, how it, deep yeah. of a list is that? Like, that's nuts. So Dominic
1: won... I mean, there's other guys I didn't list. Like, that aren't Hall of Famers that were amazing players. Like, Darren McCarty's there. You know, Thomas Holmstrom is, is also on that team. You know, there's Brent Gilchrist, the unbelievable leader, and, and a player was on that team. Like, so, there's, like, there's some really other big names there. But, like, so we will take the Hall of Famers, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten Hall of Famers on a team. That's crazy, man. <laughs> what a dressing room. That's so, what was Brett Hall like in that room? Now I'm getting all, like, we're diving deep on on the wings, but I I will tell a little Brett Hall story, just one that I heard from a podcast, actually, uh, because you mentioned you going to your first training camp, uh, you know, at six, because your buddy said, hey, I want somebody to go with. So I heard, um, I think it was Kelly Chase who told the story about Halsey when he went to Penticton, that he didn't even, like, he went, he was done apparently playing hockey, and he went to Penticton on on a tryout because Peach Fest was there at the time, which was like there was this big summer, like party festival in Penticton. So he's like, I can get a free hotel room with this team by trying out. And like, my buddy wants to drive me there. It's like he went just on a lark, right, to go for the party. He ended up making the team, scored 100 goals in the league, go figure. Uh, and anyways, ends up being uh, one of the best goal scorers in NHL history. So, I mean, that's Brett Hall for you. But what was he like in the
0: room? I mean, how, how can you accurately, you know, kind of. Uh, described one of the best you know goal scorers ever with amazing shot. I think he was uh I think you would have to understand him a little bit a little bit better. So I think I think majority of guys you know kind of did. He was uh I would I would call him like a grouchy guy. He was uh you know especially in the mornings you know just, just try to talk to him in the mornings you're probably not 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 getting the answer that you're looking for, uh, <laughs> but, it, you know, he, he loves scoring. He, he loves winning. Uh, he, he, he drive a lot of offense as well, but uh, more than anything, I, I think probably especially later on, uh, you know, just all, all the goal scoring stuff that he did over the years, yeah, you know, winning was probably uh the biggest driver, you know, later on in, in his career, um, super competitive, and, uh, and just to put it in perspective, I, I think he was the only one that could score in Dominic Hasher at practice because, uh, <laughs> and if somebody did, uh, Dom would have make everybody go again until he stops every single shot. So uh, you know, sometimes when when the practice was getting long, you know, everybody in the line was like, hey, just just put in his pads, let's just go home because <laughs> he was gonna make us go again so that you know talking about leadership and, and people that were you know paying attention to details and be kind of perfectionists you know don was another level of <laughs> as far as uh, being a pro and a perfectionist but uh you know back to Brett you know he, he was a funny guy I think he had a sarcastic humor so I think that uh, what I'm kind of alluding to is you would kind of have to uh, Know him a little bit better, not not to be offended, but right. uh, you know any any team dinners, he had lots of stories. He was a great storyteller. He was a funny guy. Uh, just his humor was to uh, to somebody who didn't really know him. It uh, could have been uh, a little bit offensive if he said something, but I think he uh, he always meant it in uh, in all all good sport, good 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 humor. And um, what a goal scorer though, and you know what a player uh, and. You know, I, an amazing person too. Just, just That's you cool. needed to uh,
1: get it known a little bit better. His shot was that good. Hey, like, was that, was that his biggest strength? I mean, his ability to get open too, like, is, is something that just blew me away. Like, how he found the space to get the shot off in the first place, right? Everyone knows he can shoot, but to do both, right? What do you think he was better at? The, the shot itself or like just his ability to see the game?
0: I mean, I, w- I would probably say that, you know, as, as he was getting older, he, uh, probably not be able to uh, skate as well. Uh, I think skating, he, he probably said himself was probably not his greatest strength, but uh, he uh, he knew he had a great shot, so all, all he had to do was just find an find open space, and he probably didn't uh, need a lot of space to, uh, to just uh, get in on his sticks and not, you know, back, it's already back in the net before before he flinch. But kind of funny story, when, uh, when Pavel got there, uh, you know, Pavel first year in North America I didn't speak any English and you know Brad was uh on, on the line with him and he was always uh you know just giving to Pavel every time uh, <clears throat> the the puck didn't end up uh, where he wanted and you know Pavel didn't really understand what he was saying all of us you know knew what he was saying and we were, we were waiting for Pavel's reaction but he, he was just happy uh just happy to be there and he would always just have a big smile on his face, so I think that kind of drove him, uh, even even Holly even even more crazy that uh, you know he was yelling at him for, to make a better play, and Paul was just uh, back at him, smiling, you know, grinning face here to <clears> here. <throat> but he would always just tell him, you know, point it to the spot where he's gonna be, and just basically told him, "You hold on to the puck, do whatever you have to do. I'm gonna be right here, and I'm." When I'm ready, you just put it, you know, right yeah. in my triangle so I can shoot. So that, that was their discussion about, uh, you know, uh, how he's going to score more goals and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, um, what an amazing player as well. He was uh, his ability to hold on to the puck uh, and then, you know, make that perfect pass was, you know, an amazing itself. So. Uh, those two uh, worked really well together. Yeah, he
1: wasn't a big guy either. Like, what do you think? What did that, what did that too way? I think he was
0: his full gear. He was probably 160 pounds. Really? He was that he, light, hey? You know, in, in the training camp, when he showed up, he, uh, he still probably showed up with uh, with skates that he's been wearing for a couple of years. It kind of looked like he was going to fall over every time. But every time it was somebody, somebody were trying to hit him, you know, he just moved out of way, you know, toe-dragged the guys on the other side. And and kept going, so you know as, as far as style and and, and his, his old gear in the training camp was. Uh, <laughs> if anybody can find some pictures from back then, it would be probably uh, you know something you could uh, laugh about it. But uh, what what a player! What a <laughs> amazing set of hands and his hockey sense was. Uh, you know, kind of like the professor. Uh, you know, Igor and himself. Yeah, man, that's,
1: uh, what a great environment to be in. That's super cool. And I love your story about, uh, hassock I mean, I, I, uh, I think it was Kevin Adams that I had on that played with him in Buffalo and, uh, or maybe no, it was Derek Plant. Derek Plant played with him in Buffalo. That's who I had on him. And, and Plant said he was, he was, he was psycho, like with how competitive he was, like completely not so psycho and, and, and was the best goal he'd ever seen, like by far, like you couldn't score on him in practice. And like you just said, and if you did score on him, like he'd lose his mind. Like he was legit, legitimately break water bottles. Like he'd go entire practices, he said, without anybody scoring on him. And, uh, and so it's for you to say that. He would make all these guys wait in line, like, so he'd stop them all. Like, that is so cool. And and you know, as a goal scorer, I mean, I was a goal scorer as well. Goalies that were like that made you and I better. They make
0: everyone better because nothing know, me more better than yourself. You know, when you, when you go for uh, three weeks without scoring a single goal of practice, uh, that's pretty, <laughs> that's probably depressing <laughs> for a goal scorer. You know, you, after a while, you start feeling pretty bad about yourself. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I was there as a as a kind of filler and an extra guy, so we we did uh, get an opportunity to spend you know plenty of extra time after practices with Dom uh, on the ice because he just wanted you know take even more shots after practice was done. So here and there, I I, I squeeze in uh, a couple, so I, I felt a little bit better with myself. But uh, he was, uh, yeah, he was workaholic. He wanted everything uh, to be perfect. Uh, you can ask any of the defensemen that played in front of him he uh, he had a video meetings not 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 the coaches he requests his own video meetings with his defenseman to tell him uh you know where he wants him to be so he can make the stop safe you know he he would always tell him you know i get the shooter you you clear or you take care everything uh take care everything uh, take care of everything that's you know behind me or next to me and you know, I will always make the first safe. And if he didn't, if he would tell me that was my fault, that's on me. But, uh, you know, if there was a second or third opportunity, he was always like, I might make it. But, you know, if, you, if you're if in the right spot, you know, there, there's no way anybody's going to score on us. Right. So he was uh, not just on the ice, even off the ice with the videos. And, and the guys that, you know, play in front of him, everybody are on the same page. They, they knew what he wanted to do. And... Uh, I'm not saying it, it was easier that way, but, you know, when when, when you know uh, that your goalie, uh, you know, it's always probably going to make the first stop and all you have to do is just uh, take care of the rebound or, or cover the extra guy. Uh, your plus minuses will probably go up.
1: No, I love that. And I just love the message to to the players listening, right? Like, to this. like He was 36 years old. He'd won how many Veznas at that point? I mean, he, he was perennial all star one of the best goalies to ever play and here he is after practice like you said taking shots with the guys um that
0: are out of the lineup you know like trying to uh, get better yeah, I think even, even if we had an optional skate obviously i i was going to make sure i was there <laughs> but, but he he never missed he was always there uh we we, we could have had it you know, a while while back yeah, you know we were in uh, carolina i think it was uh triple overtime and uh Igor Igor Lariano score a score a goal. Uh you know we we get back to the hotel pretty late. Uh you know by the time eight you you have dinner. Um I don't know, it could have been like two two o'clock in the morning. I can't remember exactly but you know by the time we get to sleep you get four or five hours and you know obviously the guys that uh, were in the lineup uh, nobody was coming uh, to the optional optional skate to get a uh, you know, get, get the lights going again. But, uh, you know, before I even got there, Dom's already there. You uh, know, and I'm the, I'm the extra guy and, and this is his starting goalie. I just uh, finish, uh triple overtime, got uh, four or five hours of sleep and uh, he's already back at the ring getting, getting ready uh, uh, you know, for the next game. That's, <laughs> that's well, another level of, uh, you know, self-belief and, and you know, doing things doing all the little things on a consistent basis uh every every day uh doesn't matter if you if you're tired uh, if you have a little late game uh you know he, he just want to be the best in the world that was his mindset yeah that is uh
1: it's a personal standard right i mean that, that's, that's something i I love talking about with the teams and players that I work with, and and is, is just that, right? Like Dom's standard for himself was just higher, even higher than guys in the NHL. You know what I mean? Like he he had a he had a way about how he wanted to do things that he was probably neurotic about almost. And and I, I mean I, I do want to preface that. I mean, the Dom's way isn't doesn't have to be everyone's way, right? Like we're all wired a little different, right? And we're gonna get the best out of ourselves in different ways. But like for Dom, his personal standard was that. like that's what he knew and that's what he probably built himself around and and he didn't deviate from that and i have mad respect for that
0: that's super cool yeah i don't know if he, he had an opportunity to talk to another goalies or you know some of the goalies that they were uh, uh this good you know what, what uh their worth it work ethic was like what what they were doing but uh i'm not sure if there was a uh, there was that many goalies in the league that you know, after triple overtime in the, in the playoffs, would uh, be the first guy in the locker room you know, <laughs> at thirty six next day. If, but like I was saying, he he just wanted to be the best in the world. Yeah. Um, that was that was his mindset, and you know he he worked on it. or He was going to do it till, till you know it, he was going to play his last game. Uh, yeah. I love that.
1: And I think that's a great message too. Like for goaltenders, like you can elevate a practice, you can elevate your team just by yourself. Like, I don't know if goalies always resonate or reflect on like their personal work ethic. Um, but being competitive on pucks and second chance opportunities and like just having that mentality that nobody's going to score. It just, it brings everybody up because that's usually the part of the drill, uh, That's sort of the end, right? Like you do the drill and then guys will come in and shoot. And I know I've had that discussion on here before too. Like goal scorers usually don't think it's the end of the drill and they're actually trying to score where other guys are just getting the puck on net and getting back in line. But when you have that goaltender that's like, you know he wants nothing more than to stop you, uh, it just brings out the competitive nature in, in, in the practice. So I totally challenge goalies out there to be the hardest worker on your team, be the hardest worker on the ice. Like that just brings everyone else up around you. And Dom's obviously an example of that. Hey there, just going to take a short break to say thank you for everyone who has been reviewing and who has been sharing and talking about the podcast. Uh, it excites me every time when I hear that there's a new place, there's a new area that has done a download or, or, uh, or a new city that, is, that has moved up a, a ranking point uh in in the algorithms and i think that's fantastic because that tells me that people in a local area are are listening and they're talking about it and they're sharing it among their hockey group or their hockey parents and i can see the uptick on the stats it was actually uh, crazy i I use buzzsprout as my podcast uh, distribution platform And Buzzsprout at the end of 2022 gave me like all the details, you know, how many downloads and what cities and, and how many countries and the countries one absolutely blew me away. 44 countries had downloads of the Up My Hockey podcast. I told that to my sons and um, one of them said, I didn't even know there was 44 countries in the world. So yes, obviously there is more than 44 countries in the world, but it, it is kind of crazy to think that uh, that this podcast is is has that much distribution and it's that much bandwidth. So super great. I really appreciate it. Uh, the podcast is growing. I want to get it back up into the top 25 in Canada. That's my goal for, for 2023. I'm not a super big into stats kind of guy. I, I definitely want to be delivering high quality content and i'm not really much into the marketing side of it Uh, i'm letting i'm letting the organic nature of of marketing hopefully take care of itself but it is exciting to see uh the out my hockey podcast push up the ranks and to uh and to push aside some of these bigger names with you know networks behind them and uh and marketing uh, behind them and and ads behind them so uh, it is awesome. I want to keep rolling here in 2023. I want to get back up into the top 25. I think the highest the, the podcast ever was was 24. So we want to set a new record for that this year. And it's going to be from people like you who are willing to say, hey, I enjoy this and give a review. And And I want to re- read a review right now. One came in last week, which is uh, super, uh, super awesome. It's always nice to see them to, to, to take the time, right? To take that little bit of time to to put the five stars and to, and to write a line or two about what you appreciate about the podcast. And, and this is from N Ferguson uh, via Apple. I think this is the, I think Apple is the only one that you're allowed to actually write reviews on podcasts. So if you are an Apple listener, uh, please get that iPhone out and, uh, and, and give a review if you're sitting here listening right now. Just pause the podcast and give, my, give, give a review. Uh, it, does, it does amazing things as far as the algorithms are concerned. But uh, N. Ferguson writes, <clears throat> five stars. Awesome. Gotta love the five-star reviews. It says, kudos to Jason Padolin, is the title. And it says, one of the best, if not the best, podcast on developing the hockey player. His guests provide great insight into mindset, skill, development, and the many paths a person can take in their hockey journey. Wow, what a fantastic uh, what a fantastic line there. One of the best, if not the best, podcasts on developing the hockey player. Uh, that couldn't be more true for me. That's what I want this to be about. Developing the hockey player, developing the person behind the hockey player. Everything that Up My Hockey stands for the holistic development of the athlete. Uh, that is really what I want to do. I also want to show shine a light on the different ways people get there and the different ways that make these dreams a reality and you know today it's ladislav kohn coming over from communist czech republic making his way to the whl and grinding his way into a pro contract and turning it into a pro career and and obviously you've heard tons of stories from kevin sawyer signing as a undrafted free agent a month before his junior career is about to expire to Tyson Nash fighting his way essentially into the NHL to, um, goodness gracious, there's just so many. Dave Scatchard, who, who had to win a bag skate to earn the opportunity to play for the Portland Winterhawks and then turned into a third round draft pick in the NHL and had a long tenured NHL career. Um, my gosh, who else is there? Derek Ryan. Who didn't get drafted was looked over, played CIS in Canada, went over to Slovakia, and then came back at 30 years old to a job in the NHL. Uh, it's all—it's so fantastic. I mean, I could go on and on and on with all the stories, but I hope what it does is just say that you know, if you're on the third line right now of a Bannum team, or if you get cut from a junior team, or if you, you know, if things aren't really going your way right now, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What matters is what is in your heart what is in your mind how much you love this great sport and if you love the sport and if you truly have a passion for it keep playing keep playing things will turn around things will get better and uh and the longer you're around the better chance you have to get another opportunity so this is uh this is ladislav Kone's story though uh thank you for listening and let's get back to his story right now on the up my hockey podcast uh, I want to go back, Laddie, to – because, goodness, I mean, we could talk about the Red Wings and, and your NH- – I mean, we will get back to your NHL, but I want to talk about you being uh, in Czechoslovakia and – and first of all, is there a pioneer there? So you said a lot of the stuff under the communist rule was covered. So if somebody was a defector or somebody was able to get out and get into the NHL, you probably wouldn't have heard about them, anyways. Um, I am not a great uh, historian when it comes to who are the pioneers that did uh, make the biggest impact in the NHL. But uh, who, who was that? Like who were the first couple guys that came came over from from uh, Czechoslovakia and and made an impact on the on the National Hockey
0: League? Well. Uh you know i am just going to allude, you know some of the ones that uh, i, I kind of you know grow up watching you know leaving Czech, uh not so much uh you know that they have to defect like uh you know ivan linka was uh probably the probably the the first ones and then there were a couple other ones uh, like nedomansky and uh, uh, you know who's uh uh, Frankie Musil, you know, the, from some of the younger ones, you know, Peter Nevet um mm, Nedved. You know, Peter Peter Klima, uh Svoboda, you know, some 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 of the guys uh that were probably even uh even before them that they were kind of the pioneers that uh had to leave uh, uh Czechoslovakia back then to kind of pursue their dreams but uh it, Things were a little bit loosened up uh, later on. Uh, if, if you put a put enough uh, years uh, into the system and if you put enough uh, years into the national team, uh, you were allowed to uh, leave later on in your career uh, to kind of <laughs> maybe make some money or, or you know, finally go play in the best league in the world. But uh, all those players, they, they still have to pay part of their salary uh, back to the government so you know for, for them to uh, to come home with, with uh, some money it was still more about uh, you know at, at least have the opportunity to uh, plus play in the, the best best league in the world uh, even though they weren't going to bring home a lot of money uh, right. but that was kind of uh, the only way to do it without having to uh, defect over the borders and and put the rest of your family, kind of in a in, in lot of trouble.
1: I thought that you would have said the Stastny's because I wasn't 100. I thought that they were Czech, Czechoslovakian, and and uh, like because they were they yeah, were,
0: yeah, and so, and they, you know, they were they were from Slovakia, but uh, you know, they were they were part of the Czechoslovakian national team. Yeah, there's there's quite a few, uh, you know, some of the names are I could have probably researched. I could look it up. Uh, right, and then what about Jager? Like Jager, is he is he? Czech Fritcher, or? he was in Toronto. Uh, some names coming back: Fritcher, Nedomansky, you know, uh, Stastny. Yeah. Uh, and and Jager is like how he's almost fifty now, so he's
1: like he's he would time. have been a generation earlier too. Like I can't remember what his what his draft year was, but he uh, and is he Czech or is he uh, Slovakian? He's Czech, right?
0: Yeah, he's Czech. He uh, he actually played in the same academy and same club uh, where I. Uh, went to when, when I was 14 years old. Uh, I think that was his last year uh, in Czech. So we uh, we got to watch him play. Uh, I think he's uh, three years older than me, or well, maybe two years, three years. But no, he's still playing. <laughs> but I, I, I kind of grew up in a, in an era where uh, uh, you know when I look look back or some of the clippings, we had uh, over 80 80 uh, Czech players playing a national team. Uh, playing in the National League. So the, the footprint of uh, players coming from Czech was, was huge back then, uh, kind of the, the era where uh, Jäger was playing, uh, Robert Lang, um, you know, older ones, uh, Yuri Herdina or, or Vladi Rzicca, you, know, you know, Peter Svoboda and Frankie Musil and, uh, and Hasek and, you know, many, many uh, more. You know, like I said, they had the list is over 80 players every year uh, versus... You know, right now maybe we have uh, 20, 30 guys uh, at the most that that playing somewhat uh, meaningful role uh, on the respective teams. Right, and we we have uh, you know Star with Diarmi are talking about uh, <laughs> best best player coming out of Czech Republic. You know, you playing an era that you, you're supposed to measure yourself <laughs> against somebody that scores 150 points every year in National Hockey League and. <laughs> You're trying to fit in with uh, your couple points at the bottom of the list. But, you know, it, it was a great era for, uh, for Czech hockey uh, you know, we were producing a lot of talent and and there was quite a few players that were having uh, a lot of success and they were playing big, big roles on the, on their teams. And they were always uh, at the top of the scoring for uh, the National League. So Everybody knew who uh, who the players were and where they were from. Right. Yeah,
1: and it seems like, again, I mean, I'm not, I, I haven't followed uh, Czechoslovakian hockey, uh, obviously to the extent that you know about it. But so, they, so there was a, a, a higher percentage you're saying back in that time that were coming over and playing and making an impact. And then it kind of went down. There was a valley there. And it seems like right now, and that's one, one thing I didn't want to talk about, um, like there's a resurgence, it seems like, especially with like, you know, the draft last year and now the World Junior Championships with, you know, Czech and Slovakia both doing well on the world stage. Is, is the development model now uh, increasing, in your opinion? Are they doing something different there in, in the last little while that's now helping develop these players?
0: Well, I, kind of what I was uh, talking to, uh, talking about, uh, the hockey academies. You know, back then, uh, there was one in Kladno. Uh, there was one in the, the, that was an in, in army academy that was in Dukla Hlava. And there might have been a couple smaller ones, but, uh, you know, the pool of talent, uh, you kind of have to be pretty good to even get uh, considered to uh, go in one of those academies uh, and play there. So uh, I think it was a lot more competitive back then. Uh, A lot of the games, uh, you know, were very meaningful games. There was uh, less teams playing in junior league. So, you know, the, the talent wasn't really watered down. Uh, I think now almost every single team that plays in the league has, has an academy. Uh, and, you know, that I'm not really involved that much in, in junior hockey back home. I, I kind of follow it from, from outside, kind of looking in. Yeah. But uh, I think they had over uh, uh, 20 teams play in, in, in junior league. And for a country that size, that's just uh, way too many uh you know they uh, uh, trying to cut it down to i think 14 or 16 somewhere somewhere down, uh, down there uh, i think they would be probably even better off if they just cut it down into 10 so they would be uh, 10 teams with the best players versus uh, you know, uh, 20 and and then you have to split all the players between them, between all those teams right um, uh, i i think they they're trying you know it, it's not always easy um uh, just like every everywhere else, uh, hockey is an expensive sport. Uh, I think that's that's probably part of it. Uh, you know, me growing up in the hockey academy. I <laughs> when I was fourteen, I, that's another kind of story. Like the 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 Czech uh, Czech nationals was uh, for the junior teams was played in my hometown, and uh, I think it, I think it was twelve or thirteen back then. And uh, one of the coaches uh, from uh, a team from Kladno were watching our practice and. You know, he just approaches our parents if uh, if I would be interesting to trying out for our academy, uh, you know, the following year. Uh, so talking about uh, being in the right place, right time, just uh, by an accident, I uh, get invited somewhere where uh, I would probably <laughs> never be uh, invited before if if they were not playing there and then they didn't see our practice and. Uh, All right. You know, they always say, dude, just, uh, you never know who's watching, right? So it was one of those times that uh, it was just a meaningful practice, uh, uh, you know, in my uh, little small town and uh, end up uh, being somewhere, something that uh, pretty much changed my life. That's crazy.
1: And that was like, and, and so that uh, that period in time, that was that was communist time, right? So, and you said like you would, would would you go there then and your parents wouldn't have to write a check for that? Like that was all taken care of your hockey and to go to that academy?
0: Yeah. Uh, everything was free. Uh, I mean, cloud Academy was, uh, I think if I can probably state it correctly, it was probably funded by, there was a big steel mill, uh, in in a city. So I'm I'm pretty sure it was uh, either funded by a government or, or some, some of the money came from a steel mill, uh, part of the Academy. You had to go to school, uh, you know, to get educated to, uh, eventually if you didn't end up playing hockey uh you have to uh work in that steel mill for a couple of years to kind of uh pay for the school so uh, part of the school is actually uh, a couple times every other week we have to go work in a steel mill so talking Mm -hmm. about uh (laughs) you know being being humble uh when you have to get up five five o'clock in the morning uh make sure you you had work by 6 a.m uh you know you're working side by side with uh uh, people that been working there for 10 10 15 years and you know so we were split up with two different areas and you know talking about hard work right and then you know we, we we're only there for uh for a limited time but you know those people have to uh, really do it for 10 15 years or 20 years so you can uh, you, you can talk about being uh, being driven uh, maybe uh, uh trying to find a different different career from uh from just uh, uh working how uh, uh watching uh, how how hard some of the some of the people have to work just uh, just pay the pay the bills yeah wow that is super cool i wonder if that
1: was like a strategic uh a little bit of strategic motivation or, or not but i mean it definitely would be you know you'd be grateful for the opportunity you had to practice yeah. it would seem like an easy, like a dream right
0: but the school was uh was free um you know the the dorms were free uh, all the players we you know from from the first to the fourth uh, grade, we we all lived there together. Um, you know, we uh, we had meals there; everything was taken care of, so we didn't really, or my parents didn't really have to, uh, you know, worry about anything. So, you know, it didn't cost them anything, and and all I had to do just go to school and play hockey. All right, the here and there <laughs> yeah no
1: i mean i like i mean the word free is i mean obviously loaded there living in a communist scenario you're n- no cost to your parents um it obviously allowed people from any walk of life that would be a good athlete or could do something that maybe they could develop into you know some t- something that could be elite which i think that there, there is some type of beauty in that and i think that is a detractor from our sport today without question especially in north america you know the price tag uh to play, you know, high level, you know, in quotes, the word I hate, elite hockey is, I mean, it, it's just too much for people, right? Like once it gets up and I mean, that's definitely a deterrent for, for stopping some really, really good athletes who might be interested uh, from playing. But I don't know what the solution is for that. And that's not really the topic of this of this podcast, but uh, cool that you were able to get involved. And, you know, I mean, obviously you're able to thrive in this scenario. How, how, did, how did you get from being in that hockey academy to now, Knowing there was a WHL in Western Canada of all places, um, and how did you get on a plane and, and end up <laughs> being in Brandon and going and play in Swift Current? Like, how how does that happen for Ladislav Cone?
0: Yeah, talking about uh, twists and turns, right? You um, know, be part of the academy. Uh, they've been yeah, hugely successful about uh, as far as drawing, uh, growing uh, NHL players. You know. Uh, Talking about the younger group, but uh, Patrick Elias was there, and then uh, Licky, Um, you know, later on was uh, was Thomas Vokun was there, and and uh, yeah, uh, brothers and uh, Patrera, said <laughs> you know the list goes on. How many uh, how many players from from that ac- academy uh, played uh, in NHL? It's it's amazing. So. Uh, you know we were well taken care of they had great great coaches but uh you know it, it wasn't easy But as, as a 14 year old when when you have to uh, uh you know pack your bags and, and uh, leave your mom and dad it's definitely a, a force you kind of uh, grow up uh, and grow up fast and you know the, before I, I got where I was, kind of, uh, you know, the first year in academy, you, you always have two birth years playing together. So as a 14-year-old, you know, we were on a team with 15-year-olds. So, so kind <clears> of <throat> carve some ice time or, uh, or play some games. I I remember that the first year was uh, was hard. Uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to come home. Uh, I know my parents would always kind of tell me it. You know, why, why are you going all the way there? Uh, are you going to come back? And I said, I'll never come back. <laughs> so even the hard times that the first year that I was telling my son, you know, I, I barely played. You know, I, I was I was little. You know, I, I got to you know be on a team with the league players. Uh, and most of them were a year older than me. They were already big and strong. They, they looked like men. And there's uh, me, tiny little boy uh, that never really... Uh, Worked out or lift weights before uh, in his life, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I was supposed to uh, uh, play on a team. So the the first year was uh, definitely a, a, a big big learning experience. Uh, being on my own, uh, learn how to take care of myself, and uh, you know, the, do all the other stuff that that, that goes with uh, playing playing hockey. You know, going to the gym and and doing the workouts and and you know, eating properly and making sure that, you know, if I was not going to play a lot, uh, I was doing everything else out, outside to uh, to get in a better shape to kind of catch up because I, I was coming from, you know, like I said, my tiny little town where uh, we, we didn't have an elite team. We didn't have a you – know, our junior team didn't play in the top uh, division. So, uh, you know, obviously the, maybe the coaching and the, the – the top of the players we, we had there uh, didn't prepare me for uh, you know something like that. So that I had basically just spent the entire year just kind of catch up uh, to uh, all the elite players that that were there. But uh, I was uh, I wasn't going to come home. I didn't want to yeah, give my dad the satisfa- satisfaction that uh, uh, I wasn't going to make it, and uh, or you know I could. Uh, I could be sad or disappointed uh, by myself uh, in a dorm room uh, in the evenings, or, or crying in pillows. But uh, I was just uh, uh, determined. I was I was never going to show it and you know, I, you know, spend it. Like I said, spend the entire year to kind of uh, get it better and, and making sure I got I got stronger so I can compete with these guys. And and at the end, I started playing a little more. But uh, throughout the year, I. Barely any ice time, uh, barely any points. And, you know, I would say probably a lot, a lot of guys would uh, pocket it in and said, this is not for me. But uh, uh, something that I would always, if somebody told me that I couldn't do something, then uh, I made, definitely made sure that, uh, you know, the opposite happened. Uh, I just want to prove I'm wrong. Was that where the fire
1: was? Like, is that the mindset behind that? Was it Was it that little nugget from your dad or your mom saying, oh, you're we'll see you in 2 months you're not going to be able to handle this that 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 drove you through it or was there a bit of passion in there for hockey as well That's or how, how do you think it was i was always
0: super competitive uh i would say uh, just to, if i was going to be honest with myself i i never uh, you know the practice times and all the workouts that was uh, uh that was never something i enjoy that much but uh if somebody told me you know i'm, I'm gonna beat you at something I'm, I'm faster or i'm stronger or i'm gonna score more goals you know I, I, that just sparked a lot of fire in me and uh, and then the competitiveness uh, it's still to this day. So i like, like even when uh when we do any any games on anything at home i still don't let my kids win they have to beat me fair and square <laughs> i love it i'm the same way um
1: well, let's talk. I mean, so we didn't actually, I mean, I, I want to get to like how the decision gets made for you to go to the WHL. but now that you brought up that academy and because I'm about development and how do we develop hockey players or people in general, what was it about that development model in the academy? Now looking back on it, you know, at 47, 48 years old now, you have, you've had a son that's gone through hockey. You saw the success on the world stage that this program was able to do and manufacture. What was, what do you think was the secret sauce there?
0: Well, the, besides, I, I think we had uh, very good coaches. They were uh, you know, very knowledgeable about the, the game of hockey. Um, as far as I can remember, all of them were very, very patient. Uh, you know, none of them were uh, uh, really in, the, in a hurry to uh, try to, uh, you know, promote somebody over over another guy. Uh, everybody had, you know, even playing field, um, at least what I felt like um and it was just uh you know if you work hard you're gonna get a get an opportunity but uh you know the, the setup was there kind of unique uh, uh similar to what kind of what the prep school model looks like where uh you go to school in the morning uh in the afternoon uh we had a gym uh, uh right next to the next to the rink with uh rehab center and and then uh indoor indoor stadium so we uh we we did pretty much every day. We we uh, uh went went to did did a workout, played some soccer, um, did some agility uh, warm ups, and went went on the ice for a regular practice. And then you know if, if you want to go to rehab, uh, mm-hmm. you know you could uh, jump into jacuzzis and you know take care of your body. So mm-hmm. everything uh, everything was right there, which uh, not uh, not many teams. Uh, back in Czechoslovakia, I had uh, that kind of set up. And, uh, you know, um, I think uh, having my, my son at, at prep school, uh, that's what uh, kind of what the, what the model looks like, where, uh, you know, everything's on a campus. You, you don't really have to travel to go anywhere. Um, if you want to work out, you know, everything's open 24 uh, 7. Know, during a practice, or if you want to stay out there a little bit longer, uh, you know, all, all the opportunities, so it's just up to you how much how much you want to use it. Right.
1: So access to ice, so it sounds like there's a lot of access to ice. It was right there. Um, sounds like there was uh, good coaching, uh, good patient coaches that would, uh, you know, don't rush, that, that, that didn't rush. Uh, how about, where do you feel that the multi-sport aspect of, of that system, uh, what type of role did that play, do you think?
0: Yeah. I, I you know, sometimes I, I especially now I, I kind of struggle a little bit with I I know what it did for for me, it did it for us because I I can pick up any sport I want and I I can do it. Um not sure I'm going to be great at every sport, but I can I can play any sport I want. You can give me a tennis racket I can I can play tennis, you know, I, I can play basketball, ping pong. You name it, I, I can do it all because uh, growing up, uh, you know, both the academies, we, uh, we did all the sports. Uh, we, we did, you know, some of the sports just, just for fun. when not, not into like a great depth details, but, um, over time we kind of developed, uh, the coordination, you know, did the body movement. Um, I think that was, uh, for us, at least, uh, for me that that was huge being a, uh, being a smaller player to, uh, to be able to uh, just move and uh, the mobility of, of my body uh, to adjust, uh, I think that's that played a huge role. Yeah, I
1: uh, I am cut from that cloth. Like, I mean, it sounds. I mean, and there's people, and I think there's there is arguments on both sides. You know, like the the one sport aspect and uh, most of the academies over here. Uh, if not all, like there's a few exceptions, I believe Shawnigan Lake on Vancouver Island is one of the exceptions where they, they, uh, when hockey season is over kind of at spring break, like the players don't go play hockey anymore. Like they have to pick up another sport. Um, even though they came there for hockey, they have they have to graduate into something else. Um, talking to their director of hockey there, it sounds like that's a big detractor for some families because they think, well, we're missing all these hours on the ice that maybe these other programs aren't doing. And that's the tough one, right? Is like what, what allows you to keep up with the joneses right and and allows you to keep
0: developing and um uh, that's why I, I don't know that's kind of alluded to it, it, it it's a hard question uh, you know you, you can you can really see how you know how, how competitive youth hockey is uh you know for, for us we, we kind of grew into it naturally uh we With all the opportunities, you know, summer was off. uh, You know, I I used to play uh, soccer in the summer competitively. Um, My son does the same. uh, Even when he went to the prep school, uh, the first part of the school, he played on varsity soccer team. (laughs) (laughs) On the weekends, yeah, he would go play for his, uh, you know, split season team. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wish we would let kids... Be kids. Let them. Let him, You know, do other things. Slow things a little bit of down. A little bit down. Um, there's, there's, you know, a saying too fast, too soon. Sometimes, you know, just when they throw players, you know, young players or high draft picks in the, into the game, uh, they kind of rush things. Same thing. If I would, uh, I would say for for youth hockey. Uh, you know, I can see it my first hand out here in California. Uh, six, six six-year-old kids can, can do things. I I could barely do it when I was 10, you know, (laughs) they're, they're amazing, they're amazing skaters. Uh, But, you know, with saying that, they kind of have to be, because by the time they're 10, you know, you're already forming um, uh, teams and select teams and, and the kids that are on it, they're, they're really, really good. So, you know, didn't, I can understand um, when the parents looking at their kids or they, they want to play on certain teams, they have goals. Uh, they always feel like, you know, everybody else doing it uh, kind of have to do it too. But uh, I'd say I wish people would uh, slow down a little bit and, and maybe at least uh, in a summer or, or split the season in two halves that uh, let, the, let the kids play half of the season a different sport and half of the season focus really on the hockey. But, right. Majority of time, that's not the case. It's there's just not enough hours in, in the day that they are allowed to uh, do other things. You know, I, I don't know if you uh, talked to many guys that they were Finland or involved with uh, Finnish hockey, but I spent uh, you know almost five years in, in Finland. So I uh, and my wife is actually uh, teaching at school there. So she uh, she gave me a little bit of insight how how the school kind of works together with, with the hockey and, you know, that their model, um, you know, is, is very, very different than, you know, from what my kids, uh, you know, are doing here, or anybody uh, else's kids here in uh, North America, where, where you go to school and basically, they're not allowed to give them any homework. So there, there's, uh, the, there's no going home and, and doing extra schoolwork because they, they just get everything done in their classes uh, you know for their for their PE uh, they usually uh, in a the wintertime they go ice skating or they just play on the ice uh, in the summertime they they do they play different different sports uh, basketball floorball uh, you know soccer you name it so before they even uh, go back to their their uh, a club teams to to play hockey, they they already have uh, some kind of activity that uh, they they're working on on their athleticism, but uh, they just they're just having fun. You know, it's not mm-hmm. super organized or stressful, and you know, having the, having the freedom, not not having to uh, worry about homework. Because uh, a lot of our kids out here, uh, you know, you go from from school to practice, and then you're still rushing at home thinking about homework. Uh, you know sometimes uh the, the minds wonder you can't really focus on a practice because you think about uh, how much how much stuff you still have to do when you get home right plus you add all the travel so i i am sure it's probably not doable but uh you know that that freedom where you where you go to school and you just do your schoolwork while you're there and then you know the, the you go outside and, and play when it's nice or you go outside and you go ice skating and, and then and, and you can still you you're free to go, go play for a, for a club hockey. Uh, without having to, uh, stress out when, when you get home, you can just uh, go eat and rest and go to bed and, and wake up the next day and, and go to school with the, with clear mind. Uh, I think it's working uh, really well for him. Uh, not sure if it's doable out here, but it's definitely, uh, nice way to uh to grow up and and do what you love well i mean yeah something's happening there that's
1: that's uh, yeah i mean that's an interesting conversation you mean one yes the homework but i've heard that their their actual like development model is quite drastically different and i actually want to have somebody i've been talking with a u20 coach over in finland i'm going to get him on the program because i want to i want to understand more about the finnish model i mean there are five million people or six million people like in the whole country, and like how competitive they are on the world stage when it comes to hockey, it's it's absolutely ridiculous how 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 good they are doing. And hey, do you know much about that? Like I heard they don't like they don't necessarily like separate players really
0: young like we do here. Like they keep everyone That's together sure. for a long time. Uh, <clears throat> a couple of years back, we had uh, we had a couple of Finnish coaches uh, down here doing a little seminar for our kind of followers and uh, what what they're doing in, in Finland. Uh, i forgot what what the break uh, breakout year is uh, for separating into you know better better players but I think it was somewhere up to 12 years old they they're all practicing together uh, when when they play tournaments or, or they split the teams uh, into two halves and then they just go play for the longest time they don't even keep score so they're, they're, the scoreboard is not even on they're, they're just out there having fun uh it's almost like uh, you know you're you go on uh, on on a pond with your friends. You're counting a score in your head, but <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's no uh, nobody else to kind of remind you if if you're losing or are winning. And then uh, you know, as, as the kids get older, then they starting to uh, separate. Him. But for for the longest time, it's it's pretty much stress stress free hockey, just going out and playing. And, and if you if you still love it. Uh, later on, and you want to keep doing it, we'll, we'll give you the resources, we'll put you on the right team, but uh, they don't have to uh, stress up for a long, long time about uh, I'm not a big fan of the letters, but uh, you know you have to have something to separate the teams, right? So, talking about parents chasing the letters and, and, and stuff like that, they, they don't have any of that, You know, they're just going to uh, play for their team or they're just going to practice, they don't have to worry about uh, this year, I'm I'm on a double A team. Uh, next year, I want to be on a triple A team. Uh, you know, oh, I didn't make this team. I'm you know I'm just going to play in house, uh, right. very stress free, and I think it uh, really works fine. But when when it's time to uh, uh, to kind of uh, separate the players that really want to pursue this, uh, you know they 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 are really hardworking. Uh, people uh, in general uh, so when, once they uh, separate them to, to, the, uh, to the appropriate levels um, you know then, then the real the real hockey kind of everything kind of starts but uh, I think for the longest time they uh, they still have the the younger groups uh, for sure playing uh, as a stress-free environment right and you're saying that's up to like 12 years old is that
1: the number you thought it was
0: definitely 12 uh, I want to say they they, they when they, maybe they when they 14 kind of when they go to high schools uh, that's when uh, they started uh, separating them into in really uh, you know what would be considered like a, the AAA level players and then uh, they have another team to kind of keep them uh, keep them together but you know the better players already starting to be uh, more centralized in those clubs right
1: yeah, I mean, that's, boy, that's a whole philosophical dis- talk, right? I mean, there's so many, there's so many teams now here in Western Canada. And I'm, I assume it's the same in the States, maybe, maybe in California as well. But, you know, our town here in Vernon is 45,000 people. Uh, Kelowna's down the road. And, uh, and I got, I don't know, let's say at 10 years old, there's essentially three or four different places that you could choose to play you know, as a 10 year old kid, like whether it's a HPL team or an HSL team, which are two private leagues or whether it's the Vernon team or, or whether you want to go, um, it's just like, to me, it's like that. I don't know if it's good or bad. Like there's aspects that I like about it. There's aspects that I don't like, you know, like there's people leaving Vernon to go pursue this elite or more. I don't even know. Right. Like what the motivation is, but it's kind of nice when there's just one spot, you know, like there's one spot and I, and maybe I'm a little bit of a dinosaur when it comes to that, but that's the way it was when I grew up here, right? There was one spot. I mean, you played in Vernon and you played, there was one, there was one top league, like they did separate him at the time. There was rep or there was house and all the, all the good players were in one spot. And that's just the way you did it, right? It was kind of, it was easier as a parent and it was easier as a player. And um, I'm not hundred percent sure what we're accomplishing, but um, you know, I guess it is what it is. I It's interesting to know though, like I, I love hearing about what's happening at other countries and, and there's a there's a feel-good aspect to what you're saying there, you know, in some aspects, right? Like, it, it, it kind of feels right, especially at that young age, just grow the passion, you know, grow the, keep it simple, you know, keep it easy, be a kid, grow, uh, and then we'll see what happens. And it's obviously proofs in the pudding because my goodness, I mean, if you actually want to be, if you're aspiring to be a hockey player, they're obviously producing players at a very, very high rate there when it comes to their overall population. So it's kind of an interesting one to dig into. Not to mention the Czech, I mean, Czech and uh and Slovakia are doing are doing a pretty good job now too. So it's uh, the European development model, there's something to be to be looked at there, I think for sure. But um can we go, I mean, I I told you we're going to be done by noon for sure. I, I always, I already have a hundred questions and I, and I don't even, we're not even at you playing in the WHL yet, but I do, I want to go, this is my from my own personal knowledge, the political aspect of like Czechoslovakia to now being Czech Republic and now being Slovakia, what, just like, give me a two minute history on that. Like, how, wh- why why did they separate, and, and why were they together in the first place? Or I don't know how you want to go about that, but I just wonder why why it is the way it is right now.
0: Well, uh, pretty much Czechoslovakia kind of uh, formed in 1917 after the First World War. So that's uh, that's when we started being one country. Uh, before that, you know, the uh, Czech was uh, part of Austrian Empire. So the first war kind of uh, separate everybody else into, into uh, smaller countries or in case uh, Czechoslovakia, kind of one bigger country, uh, the Austrian empire kind of uh, let go of uh, some of the territories that, it, that they had. So we were at we were Czechoslovakia for, uh, for a long time, all the way to, uh, I think, uh, 1992.
1: Yeah, you are saying, and I'm going to cut in for one second. So when you were growing up, did you recognize the difference between, like, I'm going to quote Slovakians and Czech Republic, or was it, was it just one people for you
0: growing up? You yeah. know, the, if you yeah. ask probably majority people, it was just one country, right? Uh, Slovakia, they kept their uh, own language, which is very similar to uh, to Czech, uh, not that much different, uh, you know, just maybe a little different dialect or a more you language. East that the language changed a little bit, but uh, you know, growing up, I was I was just one country. You know, I, I didn't really uh, notice any different. Uh, you know, you, you travel both there, yes. Um, playing hockey, but, um, you know, the people was just as nice as in Slovakia as they were in Czech. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> They're they the eating same food. Uh, like I said, maybe just. Uh, uh, Drinking a little of a different type of liquor, but uh, other than that, it was uh, it was very similar. Uh, obviously, uh, the two main cities, like around Prague, you, you would probably notice a difference, and then uh, uh, around Slovakia with Bratislava, uh, you know the, the two two capitals uh, for each country. Now, uh, those are only two places you would really notice. Um, if there's anything, anything different be- between those, those two countries, uh, I don't you know, you know, you, could travel, uh, back and forth and, uh, you wouldn't really, uh, notice that much, but, uh, you know, uh, politics, uh, people have different views, uh, people always, maybe in Slovakia, or at least what they were, uh, were trying to pr- uh, preach was, uh, they want to be their own country. They, they have their own, uh, own language, uh. You know, they felt like uh, maybe some of the money that were spent uh, more in, in, in the Czech part of that back then, uh, maybe they felt like, uh, you know, as, as far as uh, quality of living, uh, maybe it wasn't as, uh, as equally divided uh, as people would maybe wish for. Yeah. So I think probably uh, one of the main main reasons was... Uh, uh, they want to govern their own own country uh, in their own way. Uh, they want to uh, uh, allocate their their own resources and money to what they think was important for uh, for for that uh, side of the country. Sure, and, you know. Uh, eventually, that's what the, the what they kind of decided it was was peaceful. You know, it was, it was just a couple signatures on, the, on a piece of paper and. And uh, put up a couple uh, border stations uh, where they <laughs> decided where the crossings are going to be, and that was about it. So, uh, you mentioned earlier that um,
1: thanks for that, by the way, because I, 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 like I said, I asked because I didn't know. Uh, you said you played on the U eighteen team, so the national team, which at that time was Czechoslovakian national team. Uh, you said you were you were part of essentially the last uh, united national team there, and, and that was in nineteen ninety two and uh, before we we started uh press record here we had a brief discussion about my gosh like how good could that team be this year when we consider the world juniors and 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 you know Czech republic and slovakia both doing so so well um individually i mean you combine that country and and uh, that's a pretty formidable group Pardon me it would definitely be fun to watch <laughs> yeah yeah really fun to watch uh, what um do you, do you cheer equally? Like, I know you're from the Czech Republic and you're from the Czech side, but like when it comes to nationalism, like do you, do you totally support the Slovakians
0: essentially the same as, as, as the Czech team? Well, probably, uh, probably not as much, but I, I definitely root for them, uh, to do well. You know, I, I, think they had an amazing tournament this year. Uh, even last year, they had so many, so many, uh, young guys coming up right now, uh, for both countries. Uh, but, uh, I think Slovakia really uh played really, really well as, as as well as the Czechs, this this world championship. Yeah, and what a cool, like with the uh um, you know the two Slovakians
1: going one-two in the draft last year. There's a player from the Czech Republic taking fifth, I think, and maybe another player. Um what's his name? Uh Kulic, maybe later in the first uh, in the first round. That's uh that's a pretty awesome on the world stage, you know, for these players to be recognized. And it looks like there 's some pretty good times ahead for for both those nations i I do want to get to you before you you 're going to tell me that you have to go. How did you get to the w h l what happened how did, how did that How did that transpire
0: i don 't know why why we uh, always can allude to something else but uh, at, at the at the u eighteen uh, i I thought I, I had a pretty good tournament i think I at uh, more than a point in a point of game uh, we finished third place um, Back then, as you probably know, or maybe uh, don't know, you know, to uh, have any agents or anybody uh, be represented by somebody, that was that was something that none of us heard of. Uh, nobody really knew, you know, what that looks like, uh, what what they do. Um, you know, something like draft, even uh, I was not really even, you know, on anybody' radar. Uh, I don't remember anybody really talking about it. Uh, So, you know, playing that tournament, nobody really uh, were were trying to showcase themselves for somebody or or any scouts. Who was that, your tournament? It was actually in Poland. And what teams were there? Uh, Back then, it was just uh, Sweden, Finland, um, Russia, Germany. Um, I think it was everybody else except the U.S. and Canada. Gotcha. So yeah,
1: we, I played for Canada at U18 and U20. I think it was U18 or U17, maybe. It was a U17 tournament. And after my first year in the WHL at 16, I got selected for the national team, and we went to Japan and played Japan, United States, and I believe Russia was the other team. It was just a four-team tournament, and that was the only thing that we like, that, that national team did, um,
0: and there wasn't it's anything bigger. It was still only a, a European championship. So oh, was, so yours, Gotcha. So it was just uh, U18, all, all the European countries were represented. Uh,
1: awesome. Kind of nice. Okay, so
0: you're there. You have a good tournament. So, yeah, uh, we went there. We had a great tournament. The track, we finished third. So coming home in medal, uh, you know, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, more important in game. And then, uh, you know, during the tournament, uh, we, we started talking uh, uh, or we got introduced to uh, some of the agents, but, None of us spoke any English so we didn't really <laughs> understand why these people are trying to talk to us or what they really want from us and uh, eventually when uh, when we came home um, one of the, the Czech represent uh Czech agents I, I guess back then uh, Miroslav Henish, he, uh you know he uh, he got a bunch of guys together and and he said uh, you know listen I, I I'm gonna be uh working with these guys you know they're they're hockey agents it's in North America and uh would you guys be interested in signing with these guys and we're like sure <laughs> I don't think anybody even asked any questions like what do they do why why do they even want to sign the <laughs> thing is just uh sounded cool uh Miro is a uh, you know an amazing guy and eventually yeah i think he, uh, for for the the sports corporation, uh, he, he probably got in more than uh, fifty clients uh, coming in out of Czech Republic. So he he was the the first one. I don't think himself he even uh, spoke any English, but uh, somehow he got uh, connected with the agency and then he he just started signing players. So that that's that was my first interaction with uh, you know what what agents do, what you know why they even are there, and then. Uh, eventually actually uh, signing with uh, one of them not even knowing what I was uh, what is signing signing up for uh, you know the the, the draft uh, went by and, and I don't think any of us from that tournament really uh, really got drafted uh, so you know fast forward there uh, in the summer I, I was already as a 17 year old playing uh, in Cladno with a few games with uh, with the men's team. So you know the opportunity was was either stay there and uh, and trying to kind of win my spot and, and, and uh, play uh, for men back then, which uh, uh, would have been huge accomplishment, you know, as a as a young kid uh, back then. was it was a little bit harder to uh, to make uh, the the first team as a young player. Um, the older guys, they were not going to uh, give up their spots very easy. So, uh, but even the training or, or the games or just uh, how they treated all the young guys in, in the locker room was was a little bit different back then. Uh, I'm sure some of the older guys you know what, what I'm kind of uh, talking about, and you know, it, it was uh, it was it was tough. So, uh, you know the. the those decisions was kind of uh, weighing on me. Do, do I want to put myself through this? And, you know, I didn't get drafted, but, uh, you know, Miro Henish was uh, was telling me that there was, I think that was the first time there was a WHL draft for, for a players. So I think before, I think on your podcast you, podcast, you mentioned there was just a list of players that, that uh, teams would submit it. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that year was might have been the first first time they started drafting players it was definitely first year when they started drafting uh european players so every, every team is uh, allowed to draft uh one european player per team so i, I end up being drafted by brandon Weekings, which uh, i never spoke anybody <laughs> about any of that how that happened i i, I had no idea it was never done uh, never anybody mentioned it to me but uh when I was deciding, yeah, Miro, Miro kind of mentioned that, Hey, you've been drafted to uh, by this junior team in the WHL, and you know, would you consider going to North America? And maybe uh, if you play well, uh, you'll get uh, drafted that way. So that was that was kind of my decision uh, between uh, playing on the, on a men's team and and get paid, <laughs> or uh, go play a, a junior in in the league uh, for a team. But I never heard of I had no no idea where it is uh, what kind of league it is uh what I was gonna get myself into so that was uh that was big unknown but uh you know just kind of relying on, on on miro um he's like let's 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 give it a try you know what what worse what, what can it happen you know worse and worse I'll just follow my dad advice he'll be home anyway uh, i definitely had you know somewhere i could come back so i could uh, if it didn't work out i I could always come back uh, to the team that uh, in Cladno. so you were 17 at the time so i was turning 18
1: take one more quick break here from the conversation with ladislav Cohn to remind you about upmyhockey.com and the peak potential hockey project so The Peak Potential Hockey Project is my four-week mindset program. You can purchase that three different ways. It's a solo mission uh, by yourself. That means you take it by yourself. There's a guided mission, which includes group coaching calls with me. It's at a scheduled time, uh, meaning the coaching call is, and it also starts at a scheduled time, meaning that a cohort takes it together. I don't offer it all the time. I offer it five to six times throughout the season. Uh, And then there's also the mentored mission, which happens at any time. It's one-on-one with me. And, uh, I just wanted to let you know, right, right now, this episode is being released in January. Uh, we are just starting, a, um, a guided mission, uh, January 16th, and we won't be having another one probably until April is when I think the next launch date is, but, uh, keep your eyes posted for that. And, uh, if there is any questions about what the Peak Potential Hockey Project is, Uh, by all means reach out. Uh, There is a wait list for the next one coming up. You can also get registered before it happens. Uh, There is a maximum amount of people that I allow in there. So if you want to get in early and make sure that you do want to start training your mindset and your mental fitness, hitting into the off season, which is actually a great time to do it. We're not we're not necessarily battling uh, in games and for practices and the schedule opens up a little bit and and it's a good time to devote some training to mindset. One of the biggest competitive advantages you can be looking at right now. Not only a competitive advantage on the ice, but a competitive competitive advantage in life. Uh, so yeah, so if you wanna look up uh, and, and get ready for the next one, that will be sometime in April and you can definitely pre-register now for that. And that's at upmyhockey.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Laslav. Kohn. But, so 17 uh, of the time you're playing men's first division in, in check for Cladno, making money. You're a professional at that point. Uh, this guy that you knew but didn't really know well gave you this idea about maybe going to the Western Hockey League in Canada. You have really no idea, and, and next thing you know, you
0: decide to jump on the plane. Like that's huge. That was that was pretty much it. Then you know, I never been on a plane before, before that. So holy shit. Speak the language. <laughs> <laughs> wow, talking about uh, just uh, jumping into the unknown. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, once I told him, "But let's give it a try." I, I think the uh, Klarna team wasn't really happy about it. Uh, I think it was uh, it was me, Patrick Eliash, and and Thomas Volkun who uh, who actually had to walk in the office there, and and I think they were they were thinking about maybe leaving a, a, as well. And I remember uh, in the office, the general manager, he was he was so upset. I I think he was ready uh, ready to kick us off the team, but <laughs> uh, eventually he kind of calmed down. I, I think he made he made us all sign ten year contracts. So if if we do have to come come back, uh, you know, we were locked in for. A, I'm sure there was a, there was very little money. Well, we're gonna, gonna pay us so. Uh, talking about uh motiva- motivation so I, I pretty much if i was going to come back i would have to stay in north america for at least 10 years <laughs> jeepers so
1: okay so you so what, what, how are mom and dad involved in this decision like did they supported uh, it or were,
0: were they did you know, they my, my friends were upset you know talking about the same thing with my dad he was like why why are you even going anywhere you know you, you can be home you can you can play in, in the top league and and in, uh, in Czech Republic, uh, you know, on, on a man's team, uh, you can get paid. Like, why do you want to go somewhere? Um, but you've never been. You don't speak the language. You, you don't know anything about it. Like, what are you doing? And uh, I, I pretty much just rely on, on Miro because he was like, hey, you know what? Uh, you didn't get drafted this year. Uh, you know, you're going to be really close to all the scouts, uh, junior league, uh, you know, uh, WHA, very good league. Uh highly scouted, uh, you never know. But uh, if you don't try, you might uh, regret right. it later. And like I said, and, you know, coming back, I'm sure if you if it didn't work out, I, I came back, I could still uh, play for the same team. So, uh, just well, let's talk about it. That's unbelievable. So, so you hop on the plane, first time ever
1: on a plane, 17 years old, leaving Czechoslovakia, don't speak, don't speak English, going to land in Brandon, Manitoba, of all places. And, uh, and one, you're only there for two games, but, and then you end up in Swift Current. So how, what's that whole experience like once you get there? You probably didn't even know you could get traded. If you did get traded, I don't know what happened there, but let's talk about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I think as some of the early days, I, I wish I could uh, kind of reconnect with some of the players because you go somewhere where you, where you have no idea what's going on around you because <laughs> you just don't understand the language. I, I don't think many people can really relate to it. It's, uh, you just rely on uh, hand signals and uh, maybe the, uh, looking up the words in the dictionary and, and trying, to, trying to put a sentence together or kind of trying to figure out what, what people are saying. So I, I think for, for a few years, that, that was probably the hardest part. I knew as, as far as hockey, you know, I, I was going from playing with men uh, to playing sort of uh, playing back with kids. You know, so the, so that part I didn't feel like it was that difficult. I, I you know, on the ice, I felt felt I can uh, I can I can play. I can I can play better than all the all the kids that were there, or, or just as good. Uh, but not to be able to uh, be part of the conversation, or not be mm-hmm. able to uh, kind of understand what what people are saying. <laughs> I right. think that was that was probably the weirdest thing, and and I think. Uh, when I got to Brandon, I was there for a training camp, and you know, I was—I didn't understand what anybody was saying, but I was just happy to be there. I was always always laughing, uh, always had a grin on my face, and I—maybe you can ask Marty or the, any of the guys from from Brandon that they can fill you in with what what's going on. But from kind of what I felt like, I think Bob, I think Bob Lowe was was the head coach. Uh, I don't think he really enjoyed or he didn't share my enjoyment. For the game as much as <laughs> much as I did. Uh, I think he, he probably wanted different things for me and if, if I did something something that uh, or I didn't do something that he was asking me to do it and you know he, he would let me know. I, I, I didn't really know what he was saying but I think he was probably pretty upset <laughs> but I was just playing a different way than he wanted me and all I could just give him back was just my big big grin and big smile. And I think that kind of drove him crazy for a while and uh, if the coach throwing a few f bombs here and there, at you 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 probably know he's he's just not saying hello. So <laughs> you were like Pavel, you're the Pavel
1: Datsyuk of the Brandon Weeking, smiling at Brett Hall. <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. Yeah, that, that was yeah. That's uh, yeah. I can't relate to Pavel now. Yeah, uh, hearing it from from Brett, but I think that's kind of uh, the Bob. Like I think he was frustrated because I I think. You know, I was the only Europe. I think there was only three Europeans in the entire league that time. And and for him, that was his first experience, right? So he probably didn't know how to how to deal with it. Uh, there was nobody else that could speak Czech uh, on that team or even that in that city. So you know, one day he just uh, came to the. I think after first two games, regular season games, they just came to the locker room with with the best ticket. <laughs> so uh, I was I didn't really know what was going on, and it was a bus ticket, and they like come to the office. Uh, you have a phone call, so uh, you know I, I follow him in the, in the office. I got on the phone, and and uh, it was uh, it was my uh, junior head coach from my national team from from back home. Mm-hmm. And he was just saying, "Hey, I'm I'm an assistant coach here in uh, Swift Current, and we just uh, we just made a trade for you." Uh, he was, you know, obviously saying, that, "You know, it's going to be a great situation for you, and, and, and you know, I can I can translate and I can help you out, uh, you, you know, play here until you get settled or you start picking up uh, some English." And I was like, well, "So this is what the basic is for." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Somebody's gonna pick you up at the bus station. So you know, said hello, so so said goodbye to uh, you know the billets to the boys, and just packed a couple of my bags and and got on the bus. The only problem is, you know, I, I don't know the bus routes. I, I I don't know how nobody they probably uh, you know told me how long the bus ride is gonna be or where I'm going. But I I didn't really understand what was the what was the station I was supposed to get off. So I was just trying to study the ticket and kind of, you know, pick out the names. But I, was, I wasn't sure, uh, you know, where, where do I find the, the, the right name f- for, the, for the bus station for the city where I was supposed to get off. <laughs> but I kind of knew. So I don't really remember how long the bus ride was, but I didn't sleep at all. I was just every station. I was just looking. And- <laughs> <laughs> my bus ticket uh if I'm at the right spot no no it doesn't match so <laughs> that's, uh, that was kind of a lonely lonely ride I think that was my that was the only time that was I kind of felt lonely and uh, kind of sad or kind of questioned what the hell am i doing I'm, I'm doing right. I'm on a on a bus ride but uh, finally i I, I find a match on a, on my ticket and the name so I got off of course there's nobody there so I was oh. like but uh, I waited uh, a few more minutes. And, uh, and then uh, Martin Urban, who was, who was uh, this and the coach in Schiffkern, he came and picked me up. And after that, everything was great. Uh, you know, he was uh, obviously the, the translator till until at least I uh, could start pick up some uh, sentences understand a little bit what was going on. But, uh, you know, until then, uh, I don't think very many people can relate to it or kind of imagine Oh God, no! Of course, how how
1: could you? I mean, that's why I think I'm so fascinated by it. Like, fascinated. Like, like that that decision to do that. You know, the bravery and the courage and everything else that's going on there. I mean, to to uh, to accomplish what you did with not knowing anybody is uh, at that age too seventeen, eighteen years old, like nuts. And then you performed well on the ice too. Like you said, your stats were fantastic. You know, you were a point a game guy your first year, and then. Um, you know, essentially led led the team in points next year. Uh, well, I guess Paul Vincent was a little bit ahead of you, but you know, whatever, a major contributor, right, uh, in, in the program, and did get drafted. You ended up getting drafted in the seventh round year after your rookie year there. And uh, how how do you remember your time in the WHL and that experience there, and, and overall now?
0: You know, the the, the funny part. Well, I, obviously, the, the, I'm sure there's lots of stories I can uh, probably come up with, but. Uh, very first game you know I haven't even met my billets. Uh, we go straight to the game uh we play a game during the first first game uh you know I, I, I get I think I heard the expression on on your podcast double HL WHL crosscheck <laughs> sure enough right in my right in my uh, right in my face broke my tooth. first game before I even uh, the first night I, I was uh, staying at the hotel. Ovid Martin, I can can't remember before I was uh, going to move to to the billet house. So the first time I even met my billets, uh, you know, I had to go to dentist first, get my tooth fixed. And uh, so w- when I met him for the first time, I'm uh, missing a tooth, and it's my after my first game, I, I got blood on my face, and uh, you know, trying to settle in and welcome to the WHL. I guess it was my third game already, but. Uh, you know, first, first game for my new team, and that was my welcome. So, so you rode the bus from Brandon to Swift Current, and you had a game that day, essentially, or were you in the hotel oh, the next day? Sorry, thats day. Day. day, And then,
1: so you take the cross check, and just I don't know how how like I, obviously I know the environment that I grew up in here, and you know with the BCHL and playing there at, at fifteen, and you know the toughness of hockey back in the day. Like, was that a big transition from check to to WHL? Like losing the tooth, for instance. Like, was that something that you? played through like did you finish the game was that something that would be abnormal to finish the game like talk to me about that oh, yeah. whole aspect
0: you know for me I, I think what kind of why I kind of stood out you know playing in check I was for some whatever crazy reason on on the ice I was uh kinda uh, for for a European, I don't know how you remember me, but I always feel like it, at least playing in Europe I was I was more aggressive than everybody else. You know, I, was, I always kind of felt like I had a little bit chip on chip, chip on my shoulder wherever I went. You know, whatever the circumstances were, because there was always something that that bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> Even as a little kid, you know, I you know the first line of kids were all kids, uh, their parents were the team manager, the friend of the coach. So I always made sure I practice. I, I I worked so hard that I don't think they like practicing with me ever, because I would just go after it all the time. Because I was so upset that I should have been on that first line and, and they were on that line instead of me. So that was that was always you know like the internal mo- motivation just just kind of proved that you know if you're gonna be better ma- than me you you better earn it. Uh, and, and if you are, yeah, I'll I'll tip my. Kava to you, but uh, uh, if you're not, and I'm just going to try to uh, kind of prove uh, that, that I can uh, be just as good or, or kind of surprise you. So, you know, f- f- that kind of model my, my style of play. And uh, I, I'm sure the coaches probably weren't too happy because I, I always get lots of penalties. And and that was kind of my, my style playing in, in Europe. So I, I think that kind of... as a a transition to the North American hockey style, it it actually probably helped me because that was more of my style that I enjoyed. Uh, Smaller ice, I think that I I hated the big ice. You know, by the time you get it packed, it just takes half an hour because you you have to skate so far. (laughs) The smaller ice, uh, you know, you could take a shot and and then retrieve it on the other side because it was just uh, such a small area, small space. So the the game was just a lot faster. It was kind of the the game that I enjoyed. Uh, you know, the, I don't know if I'm a very patient guy. I just I just like you know the constant action and then body contact. So that definitely yeah, the transition being in North America, I, I think it was a lot easier than I probably thought, and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, the part I did not enjoy was uh, you know like I was saying. I think there was only three Europeans in in the whole league. So pretty much. Every night, every night it was somebody that, you know, when to beat up the European, it was, uh, <laughs> it was just nonstop. You know? uh, I think the, the worst guy was Darcy Tucker. I, I talked to him about it throughout the years. We play against each other in the minors. And he was nonstop every time we played, he was in Cavaliers. But uh, every team, uh, you know, every night, uh, I think the fact that I just smiled a lot, I think that, that irritated everybody even even that much more. Um, half of the time, I do not really know what they were saying. But like I said, I, I could probably uh, figure out pretty quick that they were just asking me, you know, how am I How's doing? How's my day going? <laughs> you know, that, that part was uh, – I'm not sure if I enjoyed it, but sometimes I just found it funny. Uh, so I probably just laughed even more. Uh, sometimes I, I had to fight because it it's – you know, there was no no escaping, and I wasn't trying to run away from anybody. But I think yeah, after a while, and when players uh, saw that I, I can stand up for myself, and I wasn't I wasn't just gonna laugh it off or skate it away, and uh, you know I, I would hit it back or hit him even harder. And uh, next time I see him in a corner, uh, I think that that part got got better. And and you know every team, even our team, we, we had a few few guys who. Uh, uh, once they saw that I can contribute to the team and and I could put up points and score goals uh, uh, I had some protection on, on my on my back uh, as well so yeah that's good I definitely
1: earned the respect do you remember your first dust-up do you remember your first your first WHL fight I
0: I don't I, I'm not sure uh, if I can find it anywhere but I, I as sure as a, as a European, I can see you had a lot of penalty minutes wherever I played.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know you definitely weren't shy of uh, of an altercation. That's for sure. I remember that in St. John's too. We had a we had a lot of guys that kind of had our back there as well, but there were our own battles that we had to fight. And uh, you were you were definitely willing to get in there. I mean, anyway, I want to respect your time, man, because you said you wanted to be done by twelve. You had somewhere else to go, and we're just getting into the good stuff. I I, I love. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about the AHL, and you know, you 18 uh, minutes,
0: but I, I don't know how much uh, how much you can use of this recording. Oh, I can use it all. This is fantastic.
1: So, like, at what point did you start? Did you start? Um, and you had some really cool names on that Swift Current team, like Ashley Buckberger, like one of the best humans that I remember ever playing with. You know, Brad Larson, obviously coach of uh, Columbus now, and was uh, captain there and a World Junior champion twice, uh, captain of the Canadian team. Uh, there's uh, Tyler Willis was a was a unique personality, you know, like uh, that was a good hockey player and, and 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 tough as nails. Like you had an interesting group there. Like at what point do you remember being able to actually connect and, you know, you're you're contributing, earning respect on the ice. But how did you? Uh, when did you start feeling a part of things in the dressing room, just from the language barrier's concern?
0: You know, the saddest part is that I, I never really I, I know the guys took me in. You know, I. I always felt like they, I felt loved by by all my teammates. They're always super nice, but uh, the language barrier is just—you're never part of a conversation, you know. You, and even if you want to be, you don't really know, you don't understand what they're talking about, right? So uh, a lot of times I relied on on the assistant the coach to kind of be be the translator, but he couldn't be there all the time, right? Yeah. So a um, lot of lonely, a lot of lonely times, a lot of. Lonely nights, uh, but I we, we did have some fun. My my were great about you know bring bring all the boys uh, over to their house and uh, and letting us kind of have fun. But you, you still even that that you uh, in a group, uh, I guess you, you do feel like you part of a team, right? They they, they bring you in, uh, they make sure you included in the, in all the parties or dinners or or a team or on a bus, but uh, just, just not be able to uh, be part of a conversation. I think that that's uh, definitely, definitely hard that uh, Billy be like fully invested uh, in the team. So how did you like, so I can just, I can relate on
1: one level, not really at all, actually. But when I went to Germany, I wanted to learn German. Like that was kind of the thing that I was like, okay, if I'm going to be over here and, you know, be, be a professional young guy, like I want to, you know, I want to develop and I want to grow. And I'm like, I want to come back with, with a language. Now, the problem in Germany was there was 14 other Canadians or North Americans on the team. Right. And that, that, so the, the, the conversation in the locker room was English and a lot of the German players wanted to improve their English. Like they would, even if I wanted to talk German, they'd want to talk English with me. Right. So you were kind of, you were up against that. So no matter what I, I mean, no matter what, language courses i took or lessons and i did do both uh, and i would try and you know use it in 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 public when i could i just never got the language i mean i and i do think that there's a little bit of uh just for me and way my brain works like languages aren't, aren't easy for me um so i never accomplished what i wanted to accomplish however you totally immersed like were you trying to take english were you like how did that go for you and when did you get over the hump of being able to now talk and communicate
0: well, I, I think early on uh, the SwiftCon Broncos, they they put me in a community college to uh, to start taking English classes, and uh, just being around the guys, uh, you know, we like I said, they they really made the effort to, so I felt included. They would bring me everywhere. <laughs> I don't know if, it, if if they were just bringing me to kind of show me around. Hey, this is a good, he's from Europe. He's from Eastern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him, or uh, they just want to. They're really hanging out with me but uh yeah. everybody were always trying to every day uh teach me a new word you know they would quiz me on it so that was kind of a fun way that how we kind of interact and uh, god what were we uh what were we uh learning yesterday you know and today's new word so we kind of uh went about it our own way but cool. it, it takes time right there's uh even if you take all, all the classes it, it, it takes a little bit of time just kind of start picking up uh just uh, kind of hearing the sound of the language. Uh, I did watch a lot of TV, so I think that that helped quite a bit. Uh, my wife is always uh, making fun of me because early on, like my only jokes were just quotes from uh, from funny movies. <laughs> 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 just, uh, that was my interaction to be a funny guy, just uh, throwing quotes <laughs> from uh, from number number and uh, other comedies that I could uh, get to watch and night like tv but yeah, right. it, it always said that it takes time before um, you know you, you feel confident enough it like even now it you know to be loud and obnoxious uh you know it it, it takes it takes a little bit of confidence or uh, really being uh, in the right right setting for me even now after years and years of uh you know speaking language and then i think i, I kind of master it or kind of have to uh running pro- hockey programs out here uh, just uh, running banquets and doing meetings and, and talking to everybody. But, uh, you know, people always say, "Oh, when, when you talk on the phone or when you check, you're so loud. And I think that's part of just, you know, the confidence in the language. Uh, always English is going to be my second language. So I, I think that that goes kind of with it. And it, it, it took a long time uh, but everywhere I play, uh, the guys will always want to hang out, and that was the only way. Kind of just don't stay away. Always uh, make the effort. Uh, go hang out with them, even if you're not part of the conversation. At least, at least you're out there. Uh, you're listening. You're laughing. You're having a good time. Uh, throwing a few jokes here and there, and uh, you know, just to make the effort, you're being a part of a team and uh, enjoy everybody's company.
1: Well, I'm glad you had a good experience there and the boys treated treat you good. You know, it's I fondly remember Spokane. You know, I've talked about Spokane on the podcast lots. You mean, four years there and and formative years, right? I mean, super formative years, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, right? Like when you're growing up, trying to figure out how to be a man and, you know, being around uh, the locker room matters for sure, right? And what those influences are and what you're doing. Tough um, leak. tough league,
0: tough yeah. league. Hey, You know, no, tough just- league. Playing there, but uh, playing with some 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 guys that, that were really tough, right? And then those guys made it in NHL, and then you know see see those guys uh, fighting in those games against even tougher guys. It, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always kind of shake my head. How did I play with these guys? How did I play against these guys? It, it's kind of amazing.
1: It is great. I mean, the mindset of it all is kind of nuts, and like, yeah, I mean. For sure, it, it it was tough. I I think like you said you you were cut a little bit from a different cloth. And when it came to you know traditional Europeans, I mean, you definitely had the skill set and uh, of of what you would think a European player is. But you did have that chip on your shoulder, and you weren't a, you weren't going to turn turn around and skate the other direction too often. So uh, uh, you know that you, you came to the right league, I guess, with the right personality. I, maybe with the, we got six minutes left or five minutes left, and we've talked about the World Junior a little bit. I I think you know I played World Junior. We. We won gold um the year after you played you played it, it in ninety five and that was in Canada I believe and I think that was like one of the year right,
0: right It was uh there was during the lockout too
1: right like that was one of the best Canadian teams ever assembled uh because there was NHL players that came back you I mean kind of similar this year like a lot of guys were returned were returned um but yeah what was that like I mean, you had played, you would already played pro at that point uh, in Czech. I don't know what the attendance was like there. Uh, you've been, you'd been on the, on the WHL and, you know, some of, the, some of the rinks out east there were, you know, more like barns than, than arenas. Yeah, out of us in the west, we had some pretty bigger uh, facilities. But, like, getting into that tournament there in 95 with the sold-out barns and the atmosphere and the TSN coverage and all that stuff, like, that must have been a pretty, pretty cool experience for you.
0: I want to say as far as the experience, probably uh, on one hand, the most memorable. It was an amazing experience. But on the other hand, probably uh, the most disappointing too. Because we, uh, you know, you look at on the roster that we had or even the guys that got injured. I think out of the 20, 24 guys, 20 guys end up playing in the NHL. Wow. <laughs> You know, to this day, when when you know you, you talk to guys that were that were on the team, we're we're so close to uh, to definitely uh, bring home a medal, and and so far away the way we ended. Uh, it was, I think everybody were kind of disappointed that, that how it turned out. But the uh, the biggest game that we probably had was against Canada in in Saddledown. It was sold out from start to finish. You, you couldn't hear a word on a on a bench. It, it, you know for any of us that ever experienced that for the first time, it was just overwhelming but we we had an unbelievable game. We were leading the, we were up, I think we we're up four three we we're uh, can't remember what the what the final score is maybe five, four or six four because we pulled a goalie at the end. but towards the end, you know we were, we we're up, we we're winning. we're we're going uh, we're gonna get a medal you know, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be Canada. And then, you know, uh, Peter, Peter Chan uh, takes a bad penalty and you know, Canada ties and right away they score after that. And pull a goalie, I think they score another one. Uh, but as far as ex- experience, uh, you know, how loud it was and how people were excited because there was no hockey all year and all of a sudden, uh, you know, like, you get thrown in a, in a game like that with uh, that, many, that many fans. It was definitely special. And, and all the guys that were part of it, you uh, I think we're all going to remember it in good and bad way, yeah. you know, for the, for the outcome and the way we finish. But, uh, you know, the, the caliber players we, we had there on the roster, all those guys uh, made it pre- had a pretty amazing careers. And, and like I was saying, I think 20 out of 23 guys eventually end up playing uh, in NHL. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's, that's
1: wild. That's a that's a great team, and what a yeah that was one of those kind of like epic, ep- epic, historic comebacks from Canada, right? And it's, uh, it sucks to be on the other side of of one of those of one of those stories, right? So I totally can uh, can understand what you're saying there. But what a what a cool tournament, and I mean every year, it's one of those ones. Like for me, and I don't know how you are with it. Like before I played on it. It was huge, right? Like it was one of those things and the way TSN does it in Canada, it's just always been a part of the Christmas tradition. Uh, How do you not get around 20 teenagers, you know, on an international stage with this coverage and and be excited about it, right? So as a young player, I loved watching the Eric Lindroses and the Eric Dazes and the, you know, the, the, uh, and, you know, you name it, the Niedermeyers, like I used to, I saw them all come up and play there. Right. And then, and then you get to play in it. I mean, fortunate enough for us, we were able to win gold. And now as a 47 year old man, like that's the only time of the year I'm screaming at the TV. Like, I swear, like I, I love watching that tournament. You know I mean? It's just, it's so easy to be a fan of that tournament. And, uh, and I think they do a good job with it. And it's awesome that, uh, that there's like the parody now too, right? There's a lot more parody in the tournament, which is which is exciting to see too. So I'm um, glad you're able to be a part of it as well. I think that's something that on um, if anyone who's ever lucky enough to play in it. And I had that conversation with a few guys, you I mean me being one of them obviously now, like that was one of the coolest things I did. Right. I mean I sco- I played in the NHL. I scored an NHL goal. I didn't I didn't get to win a Stanley Cup or anything like that. But like to be a part of that tournament to represent Canada, your or your country nationally, um and to do that is pretty special, and that's something that no one can ever take away from either one of us. So cool on you for being able to do it. Did you ever represent Czech, Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia nationally, like at a world championship?
0: Yeah, it was a world championship. Uh, what year was it? It was in Quebec. Um, was it two thousand eight? Did you do an Olympics? I didn't do Olympics. Look so at one the- one world championship. Yeah. Look at the names that were ahead of me. <laughs>
1: Well, <laughs> I always ask now because it's crazy the guys like, you know, uh, I don't know, like Dusty Emu, for instance, like played in the Olympics. Like, with, uh, yeah, I was, he was a goalie of mine in Japan and he played for, for Japan at, at at Nagano. Like, super cool, right? Like, sometimes there, there's some it's names that just. Sure uh, I, I,
0: wasn't, I wasn't part of that elite group. Uh, right. We probably said two teams back then that, that would still do well. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we, to kind of compete with that level of talent, uh, You know like for me i i I look back i'm like i as a as a a kid coming from such a little town uh in the in southern part of uh czech czech republic from moravia uh to do all the things i i got to do uh be all the places meet all the people have all the opportunities I, i i would I over accomplished everything, you know, beyond my dreams. I had ever any wild dreams I had ever had, so.
1: <laughs> well, buddy, I know you got to go and we didn't even get into your, uh, you know, draft story or getting into the minors and, you know, all the success you had there and then. Oh,
0: finally- I, I'll, I'll throw in a quick one for, for the draft because, uh, it, you know, even though I had a, a great year, um, you know, being drafted, it wasn't a guarantee because I, I already uh, missed you know the, the my my draft year. So the uh, following year, uh, I was I was drafted as a, as a year later. Yeah. But, uh, you know my agent was talking about hey you know you play really well you you might get a chance drafted uh, you know come come to the draft. And I was like ah, I, I don't I don't want to worry about it. So did, it was uh, I think the draft was on Saturday uh, where we're in the bar. Uh, I was few deep. Um, you know I get a phone call. Uh, I think back then we already had a little cell phone, so that, that was kind of a perk, a uh, cool thing to have. And uh, you know, I, did, I, I look at my phone, it, it's it's a number from the North America. So I was, well, we better pick it up. So I just ran outside, and you know, my agent's telling me that, that I get I got drafted, and i um, I was probably pretty tipsy to uh, to kind of give him an answer. But <laughs> as soon as I came back, I was like, "Let's go, boys." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, for the rest of the night, I was I was host for everybody else to kind of celebrate it, but uh, yeah, I didn't even make it to the draft. I just find out I was uh, I was out. Uh, well, yeah, well,
1: you it was in Hartford, right? you were you we were the same draft year because you like you said you missed you missed your year. So I was in Hartford. Um, yeah, what a bad in my,
0: town. In the, in the, one of my favorite local bars.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good. You probably had more fun than I did. So that's up. That's perfect. Um, all right, buddy. Well, maybe we we'll have to continue this conversation. I mean, I, I, uh, we could have talked about Jacob too, and even you know, working, working together, and mindset, and like, and, and, you know, obviously from your experience till now, like the, the, like the way the players, uh, you know, adapt and wh- what they're going through, and all that. There's so much we could talk about. But I really appreciate you. I can't believe we've probably have another
0: six hours because I still I played two years in Russia. I get, I get uh, endless stories from, uh, from the all places I played. All I the believe courses. it and then players i was i was wait so well even the rock we didn't even talk about the rock we could, we could have a whole episode just on the rock <laughs> and the <a> rock yeah <laughs> i loved it and i hated it i just want <laughs> to get out of it as soon as possible so
1: oh my gosh well maybe we we will we'll have to have a part 2 i swear
0: because yeah i, I mean i'd agree. love to hear about russia what are people that you know out there i you know, i met so many wonderful people out there uh, I was just, you know, I want to make it to the NHL so badly that, you know, going from Saint John to Saint John's, it was just, uh, it was eating me. It was eating me life. I, uh, I don't know how to play. I, I thought I played pretty good. Uh, maybe that's why I got called up and kind of stayed up for uh, at the end of the year. But um, yeah, uh, when you're talking about going to places, uh, I never dreamt that. Yeah, when when I get traded, well, that's another funny story. Yeah, in the summer, I'll throw it really quick. Uh, we I had a, we had a great run with uh, with Saint John, you know, all the way to the finals. We, we end up losing Game Six. Uh, disappointed. Uh, very long season. So as soon as I got home, uh when a couple of my boys. We, were, we went on a trip to Africa. So <laughs> as we as we coming back, you know, we were at the airport, uh, you know, waiting for our luggage. And uh, you know, back then there's there's no Instagram, there's nothing. You, you get the news from from the newspapers, right? So, yeah. uh, one of my buddies goes uh, goes uh, go grab a paper, uh, sports paper, and uh, while we are waiting there, he's reading in the sports section, and and all of a sudden he starts telling me that uh, I'm in Toronto. I was like, what are, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he was literally, it says. You were, Ladislav Gone was traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs for, uh, you know, Cooper. I don't know who else was part of the deal. And I had no idea. So as soon as I got home, you know, I was like, I'll oh, better go, better get on a call. <laughs> if this isn't even true, I thought he was in the paper, so it must have been true. So that's how I found out uh, I got traded back then, just uh, at the airport, just uh, reading the newspapers, coming back from my vacation. Oh my gosh, that's a riot!
1: You read about your own trade coming back from Africa. That's cool. Um, yeah, July second, man, was when that happened. So yeah, that that totally stories align there, man. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, well, I know. Like I said, you, you got to run, but thank you so much, uh, laddie. Uh, we, I know we'll be in touch. Obviously, after this call, uh, whether it's for another podcast or not, we'll we'll see. But uh, I will see you again. And um, thanks so much for sharing your stories. And uh, God, like I wish yeah you know, we played together for a full season. I said that before, and like without yeah, watching DB yeah, and not knowing your story yeah, like you never talked some stories about,
0: about me yeah you know that's yeah. that's one thing i i I never watch my any of my games I play I don't know about you have you ever watched yourself play just recently,
1: like from back in the day, like i just I, my dad gave me a big box of uh v h s tapes that he had right that I'd never seen before so like it's been a couple months though but i did spend like two or three days like looking back over some old stuff some of my old nhl games uh some of my ahl games but yeah i mean that's until until two months ago i hadn't seen myself play in probably yeah. 25 years
0: Watch a few highlights here and there a few clips uh my son made made a point to show me a few, a few fights fighting clips that <laughs> i was involved with uh you know i a few few interviews or uh, or a few banquets uh, that I was doing speeches i, I just don't like listening to myself i am probably uh not going to watch this podcast over to so listen to myself uh, blathering away but uh, that's one thing i just uh, i don't know uh, it seems kind of weird to watching myself or listen to myself it I just kind of feels strange uh, to to do it so i was just wondering if you you know somebody right. else kind of doing the same thing But right.
1: yeah no, like, i know i mean uh, uh... I'm at an age now where I, I mean, I I did actually like looking back because what you remember isn't maybe very accurate, you know, at least for me, you know, like what it, what it was like or what the game was like. And, um, so I don't mind it. I just don't have the time to really do it. And plus there's like almost zero footage that I have to even look back on. Like I, I really legitimately have that box of tapes that my dad gave me. I don't even know what's on half of them, but, uh, I did see a Florida game versus the Red Wings, uh, which was really cool to see, like. Two or three penalties that game on me, like from the Russians, Konstantinov and uh, and Fetisov, That would be like match penalties today. And and one got called as a minor penalty. Like phenomenal to watch. Like the the, the you know, like I don't I didn't remember either of that I got cross checked in the head twice and speared once. You know, like it, it, so so cool to go back and watch that kind of stuff. So I don't mind looking at it. Um, now I'm more of like a distant observer, right? I don't even feel like it's me anymore. But you know, it's it's kind of interesting to watch, but. I have uh, nothing from St. John's. Do you have anything from St. John's? What's that? Do you have anything from St. John's? Do you? I have no footage, footage from St. John's. Like nothing. Like not, not a not a. I got a couple of magazines, but yeah. that's about it. Uh, uh, I would love to see actually a couple of games back in that old rink that you play. We played in, like just to see what that hockey was like. Oh, yeah. Huh. Uh,
0: uh, some stories from from the old days from St. John's, and there, you know, we, we played with some good players there too. Uh, that's why I'm saying I'm so grateful. You know, there's along along the way, I played with some amazing guys, and you know, they, they never uh, they never really played. Maybe uh, here and there, uh, their career took uh, different paths. So it's it, it's always uh, very humbling to. Uh, to look at my career and say, you know, I, why me? Kind of thing. <laughs> you know, sure. Almost, uh, you know, what did I deserve to uh, get more games than, than the other guys? Uh, sometimes I wish I was in those rooms, kind of uh, listened to into the decisions that we went into. Who who gets who gets to go play? Who who doesn't? Uh, what yeah. did I do different? Uh, uh, than the other guys that uh, you know, I I got the opportunity you know, over the other guys, or uh, sometimes I felt I was better than the other, you know the guys that were getting the opportunities. Yeah, so goes ways. But sure. uh, at the end of the day, yeah, uh, very grateful for anything I got in my life, all, all the things I I got to do. Yeah, uh, well, I'll tell you right now. You know, I mean, one, I played with you, so I
1: mean, you definitely had the talent. But I mean, hearing now, knowing your story, though, too, and how your internal makeup is, like, gosh, that must have that must have been a big reason, you know, in a lot of ways that you just kept showing up, you know, and like I'm sure the the decision makers saw that as well. I'm sure that I'm sure that came out. So uh, I, I'm sure mindset and your passion for the game had something to do with it as well as as long as your as long as your skill set and your talent. So. Uh, they're making right decisions. Uh, I, I think you got what you needed and you probably, should, you probably deserve more games than the 186 that you got probably at the end of the day, but Hey, like I said, every game's a gift and, uh, we got to play for a long time. So, uh, pretty cool, man. Uh, thanks for sticking around with us and, uh, until next time, uh, I look forward to our next conversation. I'm sure we'll probably, uh, talk very time soon. You bet you, man. Thanks for being on today. Really appreciate it.
0: All right, no worries. Have a good day.
1: Thank you for sticking around to the end of that conversation with Ladislav. Uh, Goodness gracious, like we, he said he had to go. Laddie said he had to go at around whenever he said he had to go. So I was trying to respect his time. Uh, Obviously, you heard there that we kind of like kept going, kept going, and. uh, and then we finally cut it. But then we ended up talking for like another 20 minutes afterwards. And that's when he told the story about sending the picture back to his teacher of, of his first pro paycheck. And, and we talked about some other funny stuff from back when we were playing. So uh, anyways, we could have got into even more of, of Laddie's uh, career and, and his NHL time. and and uh, And the story of him, I mean, his rookie year. With Calgary, I believe he was first or second in points, he almost won the Calder Trophy in the the AHL, Uh, that went to Darcy Tucker, so he was a finalist for the Calder Trophy with Darcy Tucker, Uh, came back to camp the next year after coming over and, uh, and being a rookie in the AHL, being second or first in the team in points. Had a couple games, scored in his first NHL shift. I don't think we covered that either in, in the uh, in the interview. And he thought he was going to like have a really good chance, obviously, to make the Calgary Flames the following year. Like, why wouldn't he? Uh, played hard, played well in a really tough American Hockey League team and had about 100 penalty minutes and, like I said, performed well. And he came to camp, ready to go, and he didn't even get an exhibition game. He was one of the first guys to get sent back. And uh, And, yeah, like, talk about adversity. Talk about... You know talk about resilience to show up and to can to keep going and to be able to lick your wounds and to have another good season and trying to look forward um you know to to the next opportunity when you felt that you've already earned the opportunity that you're not getting so anyways lots of great stuff there from ladislav um i love his story about hasak i love i love hearing dominic hasak stories i love i love the time we spent in in detroit in the locker room and and even covering, uh, you know, life uh, in Czechoslovakia, in communist Czechoslovakia, and, and what that was like in the steel mill, and how the how the players had to go take a shift in the steel mill, and 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 what a how that how that how that perspective, you know, really helped strengthen uh, Ladislav's passion for the game and, and his and his willingness to you know to to go all in with it and to hop hop an ocean to go play junior hockey in the WHL. Man, it was really great stuff. I really enjoyed that interview. Uh, I think that there's there's a lot of takeaways there, and, and I'm sure that you you found some uh, of your own uh, from from the two hours, I believe, that we, we, we talked together. So uh, I'm going to try and do a series, I think. Well, not really necessarily a series, but I do want to cover some of the European countries and what hockey looks like there. And uh, I mentioned uh, about the Finnish hockey coach that's now in the pro league that, I'm, that I've been talking to. I, I uh, have some connections back in Germany. Uh, their, their junior program and their youth program has definitely come a long way over the last few years. I have some contacts in Switzerland. Their, their program has, has, has made some strides. And uh, yeah, I, I want to I talk to some of these European uh, places and see what is going on there. What are they doing right and uh, how are they producing, continuing to produce these, these world-class, uh, you know, talented players uh, when we're not dealing with great population sizes? So uh, you can look forward to that. Uh, I've just had an interview with Scott Tinkler, which will be the next interview out. Scott Tinkler is uh, not a hockey name you will know unless you are an avid, raving fan of the Florida Panthers because Scott was uh, the equipment manager, the, the associate equipment manager of the, of the Florida Panthers for almost 15 years. And he was there when I was there. And uh, that conversation is absolutely fantastic. At least I absolutely loved it. The stories and perspectives from from uh, from Tank were, were great. So you can look forward to that being the next episode. And then I'm going to be uh, trying to, uh, like I said, get over into Europe and and find some find some guests over there, as long as some other uh, amazing guests that I've uh, that I have on the short list here. So 2023 is going to be fantastic. Thanks so much for being here. And until next time, play hard and keep your head up.